On May 6, 2002, after a lawsuit by the World Wildlife Fund, WWE, formerly WWF, ushered in an era based around a roster of unprecedented talent up and down the card. Later that year, Vince McMahon would demand everyone on the roster show him some ruthless aggression and earn their way to the top. The rest, as they say, is history. What is the one quality that you possess that makes you think that you can walk out here and come into the ring and face the very best in the business? Ruthless aggression. Is that a human? God in heaven! A sweet kid music! It is academic! A 500 pound super superflex! Over just feared the rock! Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to the Era of Ruthless Aggression podcast. My name is Tyler. Joining me today is one member of my co-hosting six-man tag team, the Shelton Benjamin to my Charlie Haas, the Devon to my Bubba Ray, the black guy, Teron Moore. How the hell are you, Teron? Good, and yes, you will address me as such. I am the black guy. It's okay. It's not racist. I gave you permission. Uh, And now, the selling point of this whole podcast... The Jerry Lawler to my Jim Ross, the Eugene to my William Regal, Theodore, the Witch Doctor Lee, Theo, I hold up. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Looking forward to this. Let's get this started. Now, for those of you who couldn't guess from the title and the intro and the description of the podcast, the podcast is going to be a week by week breakdown of the entire Ruthless Aggression era starting on May 6th, 2002 with the Get the F Out campaign to the dawn of the PG rating and the PG era on July 22nd, 2008. That is the hard schedule we will be keeping to until we run out of episodes to make, but I don't think that should be a problem, uh, considering that's about six years worth of weekly podcasts that we can make uninterrupted. So let's go over the breakdown of events and shows. Uh, Each week, Teron and I, along with Theo, will be reviewing a week's worth of programming and talking about all of the matches, the storylines, and everything that's taking place. Uh, now expect that once a month, there will be a special, longer episode that will include the pay-per-view from either SmackDown or Raw from that week. Then, when the Big Four roll around, whether that be Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, or Survivor Series, we will be recording an extra episode that is a standalone episode devoted to just that show. Now, as I said, Theo is the selling point of this podcast. Theo, why don't you explain your role in the grand scheme of this podcast? Okay, so for me, I didn't grow up with uh, professional wrestling or uh, sports entertainment. Little jab at you there, Tyler. Uh, And you, Teron, is a little jab. But uh, I I didn't grow up with any of this, so I'm coming in this with, uh, with... Baby blue, fresh eyes. I am a greenhorn. Uh, not as green as you can be. I've seen a couple 
prior before doing any of this, so it's not as if I'm completely unaware. But yeah, like I didn't grow up with this, so I really don't know all the nuances to any of this kind of stuff, to the sport, to the entertainment business, to any of the actual uh, participants, the fans, the culture. It, it, like, yeah, I don't really know all that much, so I get to, to poke fun at it occasionally and ask seemingly stupid questions like, why are, you know, um, gold dust? Why gold dust? For example, why? We don't talk about this. You, I'm going to talk so much about gold dust. And the main topic of when I'm going to talk about them is just that single word. Why? Well, I mean, we can always skip ahead and go to Stardust. That No, no, no. No, no. We're keeping this between the lines. We're keeping this between 2002 and 2008. We're, we're not jumping ahead that far. Anyway, this podcast is going to be a mixture of a few different podcasts that I personally listen to. Uh, I I am a, a huge fan of professional wrestling podcasts, uh, especially ones where uh, they do reviews and kind of explain what's going on and look back at different parts of professional wrestling history. Um, I'm a huge Jim Cornette fan. Uh, I also listen to uh, or used to listen to the Edge and Christian podcast. Uh, I have listened to 83 weeks by Eric Bischoff and I've also listened to Stone Cold's podcast. So just listening to things from that perspective kind of gives I think me an insight to a lot of different things that Theo may have as an uh as a question or some of the insights to the business side of things, but at at heart I am a true professional wrestling fan. Uh we don't use the words sports entertainment in this household. It is a professional wrestling podcast. Uh, but it also is a mixture of a professional wrestling podcast and a podcast that I used to listen to called Bubba Shot the Podcast, which the premise is, for those of you who haven't listened to it, uh, it is three liberal rednecks who listen to 90s country music that they grew up listening to, and they listen to it with their friend who didn't grow up with the music and is looking at it as an adult through fresh eyes and giving them kind of his explanation or his uh, his his take on things. So we'll kind of merge those two together into this podcast. I think it'll be uh, a good and uh, interesting podcast to partake in. Uh, that being said, Tehran, uh, I think I've hogged the mic a little bit up to this point. So why don't you uh, why don't you kind of give your backstory uh, and kind of how you grew up with professional wrestling and what your take is on everything. I pretty much came into professional wrestling during or maybe a little bit before the Attitude Era. Um, closer to probably, well, I was born in 96, so there's not really much in between there. Uh, but I it grew up with it, watching it with my entire family, my mom, my dad, my uncle, my brothers. It was just something that we all sat around on the couch every week, every Monday, every Friday, and just watched something that we did as a weekly family thing. And it was it was very enjoyable. I've gone to a couple shows in my lifetime, which have all been awesome. 
Um, jumping ahead here, I was at the arena when the Undertaker got set on fire. That was that was a day. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Undertaker we'll, got set on we'll fire at a um, <laughs> elimination chamber match, but that's that's later on. Yeah, we'll 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 get to that. We'll we'll get down the line. We'll get to that. You know. But now I'm not as much of a hardcore watcher, but I still keep up with what's going on and try to stay up to date on current champions kind of storylines and feuds and stuff like that. So not heavy watcher anymore, but I'm actually starting to get back into trying to watch it on a daily basis or at least try to catch up. So this is definitely going to be an outlet for me to get back into it a lot more than I was. Yeah. I mean, it's so I guess for me and, and Theo and I kind of talked about this when we did our test, our test run, me and just me and him. Um, you know, I, I was kind of the same way. I, I grew up watching professional wrestling with my family, more, more specifically my dad. And, uh, I, I, as a kid, it was something that like, as you and I were growing up, and I don't know if it was this way for you, but it, for me, when I was growing up, there weren't a lot of people who were watching because it was kind of going out of style, it seemed like. And uh, for for me, at least, it was, was kind of hard to find friends that that watched and like that I could talk to them about with professional wrestling. I mean, I could talk to them about anything else, but for some reason, professional wrestling just kind of like in this era, it kind of started to trail off and it wasn't part of the like common lexicon it wasn't something that was super popular like it had been just a few years prior when it dropped off and and we're gonna plop right down into the middle of 2002 so just shortly you know like a a year year and a half removed from Vince buying WCW and basically taking out his only competition so I mean for for a specific era, I think this is a great era to cover solely because it's something that if you grew up with it, you think it is the greatest era in professional wrestling. And if you didn't grow up with it, it was kind of the era where everybody started moving away from professional wrestling and kind of dropped it as a not even a hobby anymore. They they just people didn't want to watch anymore. So the, the fans that were left were diehard fans yeah it definitely trickled out all the people that were kind of i guess you could say watching it to just be mainstream um or like or like casual fans almost there weren't any casual fans they were just like what you were saying tyler just like the the diehard fans like this was like like you're either with us you're one of us or you're not kind of thing yeah, basically. I mean, the the diehard wrestling fan kind of died off. Like I talked about around 2001, where Vince bought his competition and he was the only game in town. I mean, you could go to a local like indie show, but you couldn't really find there was no other like mainstream professional wrestling on the market. So Vince had the only game in town. And uh, a lot of people who were diehard WCW fans basically said, I'm not going to watch wwe and they left and then a lot of the fans who liked it because it was edgy and it was kind of on the it kind of had its finger on the pulse of what was going on in the world it kind of died off after that so people kind of just gave up on it man a lot of people saw it as 
it's the only thing out there to watch, so it's not really anything to watch. Uh, but anyway, now that we've kind of gone over what it means, like what professional wrestling is and was to all of us, let's kind of get into the kind of lay of the land at the time. Um, give me just a second. I will pull up the uh, Wikipedia page. And yes, I use Wikipedia. I don't care enough to completely disregard Wikipedia as a viable source. Um, we are going to look up the World Wildlife Foundation suit of the WWE. I wonder what your professor would say to that, openly uh, using Wikipedia on such a, a public setting. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. You almost need a... You, you, can't, you can't be doing that. There are children watching. Right, yeah. Um, my professor is currently a robot, so I think we'll be fine. Um, hold on just a second. Let me find... Let me find the section that I'm looking for. While you're pulling that up, I guess I can go into a little bit like my experience about what professional wrestling is or was prior to having started this project with y'all. Mm-hmm. For me, uh, there's this one kid when I was growing up, his name was Andre. And that was my first like real experience with professional wrestling. He brought his little action figures to school and like during recess He'd be playing with them. One of them was The Undertaker, and I want to say the other one was Kane. I can't remember. But that the Undertaker was his favorite, and I guess by default that kind of made it my favorite because that was my only one that I actually knew about. Yeah. And it was interesting just to see, like, he's doing all these like, little maneuvers with these action figures, and I'm just like, what? what, what is this? Why is this, this guy not have pants on? Why? What's the point? And he's like, oh, that's, that's part of the show. He was like... Yes, but put your pants on. No. And and one thing that really stuck with me is, is he he told me uh, one of his fake matches that he made, one of his little play matches that he made in on the schoolyard was um, he had made his favorite Undertaker lose on purpose. And I was like, hey, why would you want to do that? It's your favorite guy. He's like, they no, that's the thing. That's the whole point of it. Your favorite guy is not always supposed to win. I was like, so it's fake. It's rigged. There is no point. This isn't a real sport. What's the, there isn't a point. And so like growing up later down the line, and, uh, when I went overseas, there was a lot of WWE presence, especially like 2016-ish, or not 2016. Uh, yeah, around 2017-ish, there was a lot of WWE presence where I was growing up in, in Egypt. Like, I couldn't go any toy store that didn't have, like, action figures of the WWE uh, wrestlers and stuff. So I thought it was interesting. I was like, okay, I mean, obviously this is a big thing. And by the time I met you, Tyler, it was, um, I was like, I was open to at least experiencing it. But then we had that little break. And then we came back, not uh, just last year. <laughs> and then you finally started talking about it and, like, how you actually perceived it and how you like grew up with it you uh, at your desk at work you got all these belts all over your place all over your desk and it was like okay what the hell is this this is a cult and i thought i was a member of a cult thought with my little thought, ducks you everywhere thought you were wait thought you thought you were in a cult 
<laughs> yeah, I drive a Jeep. That's a cult. Yeah, that's not... You don't think. You don't think things that are facts. I don't think the sun is hot. The sun is hot. You are in a cult. I never said anything to the contrary about you Jeep drivers you being members of a cult. You were in a cult. Yes, but then compared to you, I am a part of a social club that meets no, once not every e- second not Tuesday not on a full moon. Not even remotely. Not even remotely. I have three belts sitting on my desk. How many ducks do you have on your desk? A lot. No, we need numbers here. Um, Ballpark. At least 20. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, see, that's like, a problem. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm having three collectibles coming in later this week. Right, right. How many uh, How many do you have in your Jeep? Two. Okay. So all together, you have at least, so by your own numbers, you have at least 25 ducks. No, I have 80 at home. That's, you're, you're, you're just dig a hole. Diggy, diggy hole. Well, the 80 at home, I keep in a box so that when I go out, I see a wild Jeep, I can duck them. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not giving... He keeps them in a box at home so they don't escape. Right. I don't keep spare belts at home to try to recruit people to my cult. No, you keep them on your desk to recruit me into this no, cult. No, no, I'm not trying to recruit you into a cult. I asked you of your own volition and if I'm you not wanted to, to be in this car. You are. You are. You just said you keep 80 ducks in your in in a box at home so that if you see a wild jeep out in out and about, you can just give them a duck so that you can recruit them into your goddamn jeep duck cult. <laughs> you are trying to recruit people for the Jeep, you don't. You want to know how I know? My grandfather has a Jeep. You know what he doesn't have? Ducks. There are multiple <laughs> schools of thought when it comes to being oh, a Jeep driver. Oh, oh okay. okay. All right. Yeah, yep, yep. But if, but if you are a Jeep driver, you have, you do, this is what you do. You have ducks. But my grandfather is a Jeep driver who doesn't have drugs, have d- ducks. See, now you're getting me worked up and you're getting my English all you fucked up. You don't even speak English. I speak bad Your English. English is already fucked up. I speak what bad English. That's what I speak. Yes, you do. My anyway. wife is a Jeep lover and she doesn't have a duck. Thank you. I did Thank you, Toronto. Wife Thank you. A damn thing. Thank you. <laughs> As the a black man's word she may be, is I didn't law. ask her a damn thing. The black man's word is law. Thank you very much. Well, uh, I. I Say you're the wrong. black man's daughter's word is you're wrong. wrong. Really, you're wrong. Really, if she's gonna stand up you on are the dresser, incorrect. she's gonna stand up. You on the are dresser. wrong. Anyway, now that we've had one cult pitch, wait for those viewers out there. You can get ducks for cheap anywhere. I got like seven of them at a free flea market. You shut your mouth. You shut your mouth. Just no, you're wrong. That just means that your cult is cheaper. <laughs> Mine's a hobby. Yours is a cult. <laughs> you know what else you can get for free? A Bible in any goddamn hotel room anywhere. Cult. Well, just because you're Christian doesn't mean you're in a cult, but that's a different story. I mean, it does, because you're in a cult. That's a different process. Anyway, back to the initialism dispute on Wikipedia about the World Wildlife Foundation and uh, World Wrestling Federation. In 2000, the Worldwide Fund for Nature sued the World Wrestling Federation, now named the WWE, for unfair trade practices. Both parties 
had shared the initials WWF since 1979. The conservation organization claimed that the professional wrestling company had violated a 1994 agreement regarding international use of the WWF initials. In August 2001, a UK court ruled in favor of the Worldwide Fund for Nature. Uh, The World Wrestling Federation filed an appeal in October 2001, but later withdrew their appeal. On the 5th of May 2002, the World Wrestling Federation changed its web address from WWF.com to WWE.com and replaced every WWF reference on the existing site with WWE, officially announcing their name change to World Wrestling Entertainment a day later with a Get the F Out marketing campaign. The company's stock ticker also switched from WWF to WWE shortly after. Uh, It goes on to talk about uh, later conflicts uh, in 2002 and uh, kind of the use of the WWF scratch logo throughout history and uh, whether or not they were allowed to talk about being the World Wrestling Federation or using WWF in any of their archival footage. Uh, But we're not going to go into that because it doesn't really affect us. But that being said, uh, that kind of gives the setup to our podcast, really, because we are starting this podcast with the first episode being first Raw, actually the first show uh, in WWE history after this uh, monumental lawsuit takes place. So... Without further ado, if you two are ready and we're done talking about cults, let's get started on our notes from Raw, May 6th, 2002. I'm old-fashioned. I have paper notes. I did not take these on my computer, so I will be reading them directly from my copy here. First off, big opening. I talked to Theo about this a little bit again in our test run, but... um, the Attitude Era opening to the shows. I I need I need your backup on this. That this is the greatest opening in the history of professional wrestling. That was actually gonna be my first point. The openings for shows have never been the same. They yeah. were a one wagyu just cream of the crop during this time. They were so good. The music, the video clippings, just everything was top tier. In my personal opinion, I think they've kind of gone downhill since then. It's just not been the same since. And with CGI and all the stuff that they can do now, they could very easily bring it back up to that level of quality for just an opening, which is crazy to think that that much went into just an opening to a show. They could easily go back to it if they actually put the time into it. But yeah, they they were amazing during this time. The music selection, all of it was great. So uh, again, Theo and I talked about this a little bit when we uh, when we did our test run. Theo, I, I think you had a very poignant point uh, when we talked about the openings to the shows. What uh, what was your comment that you had about the opening to Raw? My first real point was um, the music choice for me. It was very, very uh, early 2000s new metal. Um, 
I, I'm a big metalhead, so like I, and especially like the my kind of new metal that I listen to, that's the kind like Limp Bizkit, Slipknot, uh, early Corn, uh, System of a Down, Disturbed, that kind of stuff. So I, I liked uh, the music just off the beat. It seemed very very fitting, especially with like uh, what Toronto was saying about the music or the 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 clips coming cutting in very ha- uh, very high paced, very punchy. Uh, but what also interested me was the dialed up to 11 nature that seems to be WWE has been transferred into how the fans interact with the medium themselves. As they're in it, they're they're shouting out all these things. You know, even Stone Cold Steve Austin, he'd go out and flip the crowd off and the crowd would flip him off right back. It's it's almost like Rocky Horror in a sense, where it's a callback. Yeah, I mean, I mean, absolutely. You know, Tehran and I will talk about uh, all day long. We've talked about this in the past, but like the openings to these shows and just the energy that comes along with them and all of that. It's like we talked about earlier. Like these are these are diehard fans. These are people you did not have to sell them on buying tickets. You didn't have to give them deals to buy tickets. You the, these guys were coming whenever they were in town like these guys were coming because they had the merch they had their signs planned out they had uh they had taken the day off of work to go get ready to go sit and and either tailgate in the parking lot or just wait in the parking lot like these guys are all of these fans are diehards whether it's a raw on a random monday or you know uh, a people watching Sunday night heat or velocity, which is a Saturday program, which we're, we are not going to cover because they were just kind of like B list or C list shows. These are diehard fans in this building. So that's where you get that, like that energy. And like Tehran talked about, you know, I've, I've also been to a few shows in my life and, and that energy is something that is unmatched. It's something you wish you could bottle it because it is just insane to be in that room, in that building, in that stadium, whenever anything big happens. It is unbelievable. I would probably compare it to any given older, really good Super Bowl. Mm. That energy, that electricity that people feel when they're in that stadium and it's the fourth quarter and their their team's down by two and they get that that last running play to get that final touchdown to put them over the top. That pop of energy is like that all the time during this era, no matter what the match was, no matter who was on the card, no matter what title was on the line, it could be the bottom of the barrel, just a one-off throwaway match. And it was electric all the time. And there was very little of those just throwaway matches to like put someone over during this time because the entire roster was just stacked. And that's something that, I mean, I, I talk about it a little bit in the intro, but like just how stacked the card is and how it was insane. The amount of, the amount of skill that they had on these shows was unparalleled i don't know of another time that they had like don't get me wrong the attitude era had bigger i would argue bigger stars but i don't necessarily think that they were all better wrestlers i don't think that they were all had more skill 
I think they were bigger stars, um, especially considering more people were watching and more people knew them. You know, more people are going to know if they watched the Attitude Era, more people are going to know a uh, an X-Pac or a Billy Gunn or something like that versus, you know, guys who didn't grow up watching the Ruthless Aggression Era. Um, they're not going to know somebody like a Jamie Noble or a Doug Basham or something like that, you know, but these guys were just, they were great. They had a lot of skill, but they didn't get, like, they didn't get as big. They weren't as big as stars, but I think the skill level was definitely way, way higher. But all right, let's, let's get back to, let's get back to the actual show. All right. So we do the opening. We have a very strong opening. We all can agree. Awesome opening. Perfect for what we're about to watch. Perfect setup. One thing that I haven't seen in a long time in any of the newer shows that I definitely loved hearing and seeing on the on, on the shows that we're watching going through watching now. JR opens the show. JR is the greatest commentator in the history of professional wrestling. I'll fight anyone who says any differently. But the fact that he opens the show up has amazing energy says, hey, you know, we're we're live in uh, they're in Hartford, Connecticut. So I told Theo when we had this conversation before. The fact that they're just like they're less than two hours from Stanford, their home base, the day after they announced this huge uh, shift in the company from WWF to WWE, I think is a little ironic. I don't think it was planned, you know, but I think obviously it, it's kind of ironic that they're just up the road from where their home base is basically at right off the bat in this new era. But yeah, let's talk about the actual opening of the show with JR and King and their interaction. Teron, what are your thoughts? Theo, what are your thoughts? There will never be a better or greater commentary team in the history of WWE. You get some some very good ones later on down the line, and like right now, there's some really good ones, but I, I don't know what it is. JR and King were just, it, it, they were in. There was nothing better than those two. My first impression of JR and King, JR with his iconic hat, uh, he was very, he, he was almost like a statistician. He was looking at it, he, he had the passion, he was looking at it, but he was looking at it in the sense of, here is what is going on. I'm excited to be here because I love this whole I industry, this whole entertainment business, and he, he's a part of it. Whereas, but whereas King was, I mean, don't get me wrong, he still had the heart to be there, but he was almost in the sense of, like, he was the showman behind the commentary team. Like, he was wearing that, I don't know how to classify that uh, suit he was wearing. It was indeed a suit. Anything else, I don't think would do it justice, whether it be good or bad. It just, it, it was a suit. So, all you can accurately say. So, that being said, um, I don't know if we talked about this last time. But uh, King actually used to be a professional wrestler in Memphis. And that is why, uh, one, you will see him get involved in the ring quite a bit during this era. Um, he will get in, the, he, will, he will step in and he will have matches quite often. But he is uh, known for being a bit eccentric, known for being a bit, you know, loud and thrash and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's. That's, I think, part of the reason that him and JR played so well together is because JR is that very, like, straight statistician almost, kind of like you, you were talking about 
he gives you the no nonsense. He gives you what's going on, but he is also very passionate, which I don't know if you kind of got to see a whole lot of that. But as we progress and as we go through, you'll see that that Jr. kind of had this just this special quality about him where when he would call a match, you you felt it. You were a part of that match because Jr. was there with you. Jr. was experiencing everything with you at the same time and and king was there for sometimes for comic relief but sometimes to kind of play devil's advocate and you know to play his role as the uh the funny guy but also kind of the heelish commentator sometimes it just depended on the situation that they were in um sometimes they were both good sometimes one was good one was bad i don't know that jr was ever bad when king was good but that that is kind of the dynamic that you you talked about where king is kind of a little bit more eccentric a little bit more loud boisterous and jr is kind of that like straight guy who is just very by the book very uh very statistician like i i like that explanation of kind of what happened but let's talk about let's actually get into the the show let's talk about what we have slowly realized is theo's favorite part of any professional wrestling show the women's division you don't have to call me out like that i mean there are many other ways you can call me out but like you don't have to do it so 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 bluntly listen ron and i grew up that was if you were not a Die hard fan during that time, everybody's appeal was the women's division, so it's uh, it's okay. The shade that just got thrown. What's wrong? <laughs> what is wrong with women with women being uh flaunted around and right. knowing full well that they could toss me across a room if they so desire? What is I mean, wrong I, with that? Uh there, I mean nothing wrong with that. And you still you haven't even got to the point where there's actual women that can throw you we haven't gotten to china yet oh god anyway uh little detour there uh let's talk about the first match so we have trish coming in uh against jazz with steven richards uh for some reason that connection is made not real sure why this is for the women's championship theo let's get your let's get your first initial take uh, your initial impression of Trish and Jazz. It was it was interesting to see the first match. Like I, I like you had shown me a couple of matches, like onesie twosies here and there, but we never really sat down and watched a full show before watching this. And it was interesting to see how first match of the night championship. Mm-hmm. It was like it was almost as if they the women's championship doesn't matter that's that that is the opener now yes i will fully admit that you know the women's division might not might not necessarily be the main selling point for the for the for the entire uh, business but it was still interesting to see that that was the first event that was the opener and and with that opener uh i believe it was uh yeah trish fratis she came up into the middle of the ring, grabbed the mic, and started just, you know, hyping herself up, talking trash on jazz, uh, and how basically she was saying, I am the one who really deserves the title, in so many words. And then jazz came out with the belts and decided to do something with it. So, that being said, initial impression of jazz. What, uh, what do you think? Comparatively, compare and contrast, 
what what was your initial thought when you saw Jazz? The initial thought was... And you can't use the word mommy. I wasn't going to say the word mommy. So you see, I, I threw, you, threw you for a loop there. You thought I was going to say mommy. I, I really was going to say, uh, damn, I, I better not piss her off in any way. Like if, I, if I had a chart, I could probably point out the individual muscles in her body. That's fair. This, this, is, this is something that is true. Yeah. I think I told you... Uh, just keep that physique in mind. Yeah. Um, because later on, like during the now era, the WWE women superstars are starting to look more like Jazz did back then, like turned up to three. I think I said this the the during the test run between myself and you, Theo. I am very sorry that this is the first match you had to see as the opener to the first full show you had ever watched. Uh, this was not a great match, at least in my opinion. This, it was not good. There were botches left and right, uh, missed punches, missed kicks. It was just kind of all over the place. And that's the weird thing. Yeah, I know I'm fresh to this kind of thing, but it didn't seem that. It, it mm. seemed like, like yeah, it, it looked staged in the sense of they're doing these maneuvers safely, in the sense that, that they're not going to cause injury. I'm pretty sure that these maneuvers hurt like hell if you're the victim or participant in any way, shape, or form of these maneuvers. But it was still interesting to see how they could be doing any of these spinny, flippy, kicky shits at all and still be able to stand up and not be put in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. Right, and I, I think that's fair. down to, to those later on. Um, I think that's I think that's a fair assessment. Don't get me wrong. They are professionals, and they are good at what they do but looking at it from perspective of all of the talent that is on the men's side that Tehran and I just talked about the men when they enter the ring it's it's a different thing it's it's a whole different beast um they are you know the women may be here the men are miles above them in skill much more believable as athletes and their moves just to me they just look better and i'm i'm sorry if that you know uh, upsets people or whatever but especially in this era where by now 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 not the the present not then not the then now this is now now yes i'm getting into quantum physics here the now now then with the, then now this is now now with the women of today comparatively against the women of then it's night and day the women now would have fit well on the men's side of things back then uh, i don't know if if Tehran feels the same way or uh, what the case may be most definitely the, the to to the extent of the women in that era were used more as of show pieces, so that was part of the reason why they started the the show. They were to get the sex appeal out of the way at the beginning with a, a quote unquote for a way match. And yeah, a a lot of the women's wrestling back then was not great. Because mainly they were just faces. They weren't really 
expected to put out much actually wrestling entertainment. Um, I feel like as we get further on in this era, they were actually showing more that, hey, we're not just faces. We can actually, you know, wrestle. And that leads into the Trish Stratus, Lita, Mickey James, that kind of era of female wrestling where it was more of, hey, we're not just pretty faces. We can actually do this stuff too. But during this time, their matches, titles, storylines, all that kind of stuff were just pretty much throwaways. They were just something to put on the card to pretty much bring in the male audience for something to look at for the most part. No, I totally, I totally agree. And, and and you can see by the ending of this match, you can see um, just how seriously they took the women's division. I mean, the, at the end of the match, you have Steven Richards comes in, interferes in the match, does something that he never would be able to get away with today. He super kicks Trish and costs her the match. And then this is one of my big talking points, I know, uh, because Theo had a big question about this when we did the initial run of this, the hardcore title situation. Let's, uh, Theo, let's, let's, let's go over your, your question about the, the whole hardcore title situation. And then Tehran and I will do our, our best to explain to what, what, (laughs) what the hardcore title was. Mainly the, the thought that was going in through my head, it was like, okay, cool. That's over. Uh, the first match with, uh, Trish and jazz, that's over, taken care of with a title is, that match is concluded. Right. And then not 20 seconds later, there's a second title introduced, which changed hands. He was like, okay, cool. And then changed hands again, and again, and again, and again, and again. Like, seriously, like, my, my main thought was, what the fuck is actually happening? What is this? What is any of this that is going on? Why is... What? Like, we even had to pause for a little bit while we were watching, and I was like, what? what is going on? What? Rewind this. What is happening? Like, like, where is the... Who is the match actually against? All right, Theron, do you want to take the... Uh, do you want to take the explanation of the world's greatest championship to ever exist, the hardcore title? So, I love that it was brought up because I forgot that this was a thing. <laughs> Not going to lie. So did I. I forgot that the stipulations for the hardcore title were the same stipulations for the 24 seven title. Yes. That I watched it and I was like, Oh shit. That was a thing. Uh, the hardcore title was what the name implies it was a title that could be won anywhere for any stipulation didn't matter it was pretty much a free range title that could be defended and won anywhere it was pretty much a title that had the stipulation of a any uh, falls anywhere no disqualification hardcore match didn't matter what it was you could come in like at in this match, seven people came in and won the belt. And then at the end, as long as you got out of the ring, you were fine. It was chaos that what surrounded that belt was absolute chaos. So so one thing I don't I don't know if I brought this up 
uh, when Theo and I did ours. Um, but I do, I do want to bring this up because it's 100%. This is more directed at Tehran. Tehran, do you know who the single most decorated champion in the history of the WWE is? Who has won the most championships? Most single championships. It doesn't matter what they were. Doesn't matter if he was a 20-time tag team champion or a, you know, 20-time, 16-time world champion. You know who is the most decorated champion in WWE history? Ric Flair. No. So I give up. Not. <laughs> it is not. It, I don't want to. Well, that's too damn bad. It, okay, are we, are we talking about from at, in this era or just all together? All time. The answer is both. Because I believe, isn't it, or wasn't it? Jo- no, no, it wasn't John. Search your feelings, black guy. Do you want me to give it to you? Because I, I, yeah, because I think with his return, Edge is the most decorated now, isn't he? No, the single most decorated champion in the history of WWE is Raven because Raven held the the hardcore title on 27 different occasions forgot he held that title so many times that's the thing man it was was just it was so many back to back to back like it was you would win and then 20 seconds later you would lose and then you would win it back again it was it was just a throwaway championship for them to give to everybody i mean women held it i gerald briscoe and pat patterson held it i guys that never won anything else in their time if they were there for the reign of the hardcore title were hardcore champions once that is why i forgot that it was the original 24 7 belt yep 100 percent. but let's 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 go over the chaos right so i have the list here bubba comes in immediately after the match is over hits steven richards with a bubba bomb wins the title he is champion for a total of about 25 seconds when Raven comes down and hits him with, I believe it was the top of a garbage can. Kicks him in the gut, hits him with the Raven effect, wins the title. Then he is champion for the total of about 15 seconds because Just Incredible comes down, super kicks Raven, pins Raven, wins the title. Uh, I didn't even get a time on this one. Just Incredible stands up and Crash Holly, who I have always associated with this title. I, if you told me what the statistic I told you earlier and were like, yeah, it's because he was hardcore champion so many times, I'd have been like, oh, it's Crash. Because Crash was who I associated with the hardcore title. Because Crash is actually the one who started the 24-7 rule. When he won the hardcore title, he said, I will defend this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And did for years until they discontinued. The title. So how would he defend the title if he's not in a match? Then it, it, it if it's matter. a twenty-four hour title, didn't matter. He it, could it be. So could he be... could theoretically be taking a shit. Yep. yep. And someone comes in and just Batista bombs you somehow. Yes. And yes. And that's that that. Yep. Sounds a bit uh, aggressive. So I think it's before this. I don't think we'll get. I, like, I don't think we'll cover it. I think it happened before this. Gerald Briscoe, who was at this point like 60, had to be. Had to be pushing 60 at least. 
at one point broke quote unquote broke into Crash Holly's locker room while Crash Holly was sleeping, taking a nap on a couch, brought a referee and put his finger on Crash Holly's chest. The referee mimed one, two, three, and then Gerald Briscoe was named the hardcore champion. Sounds like cheating. I that's what happens when you defend a championship 24 hours a day. You can't defend it in your sleep. That is such horseshit. I that's why that the 24/7 championship was pretty much a rebrand of the hardcore yeah. championship because I think in one night it changed hands like what I think a record of 20 something times and it was for nonsensical reasons as yes. long as you had a ref yep and you could pin them for three seconds you were the champion there you go it did not matter so we were talking we were talking about kane earlier and i know we're kind of getting off topic but it's it's related with the 24 7 championship we were talking about kane earlier kane is now the current mayor of knoxville in tennessee and he is uh, his name is Glenn Jacobs. He ran as an independent and as a, I'm guessing, a publicity stunt when they were in Knoxville. They had wrestlers go to a uh, like a press conference that uh, Glenn Jacobs, Kane, was holding. And Kane, they staged a match that took place at this press conference. And Kane, as the acting mayor of Knoxville and a retired, and semi-retired, but a pretty much retired professional wrestler, again, the mayor of Knoxville, wins the 24-7 championship because that is how nonsensical this rule is. And like uh, Tehran was saying, it was basically just a rebranding of the hardcore title. How would he defend the title without, being, without anyone being charged with assault of an elected official uh i think he was champion for about five minutes and then somebody rolled him up and uh then just ran away with the title that just it still sounds like assault of an elected official i mean it doesn't that doesn't at at that point he he's not an elected official anymore he's not wwe superstar at that point Um, he is is that is is i don't know if you could just take the hat off like that I think you can. If the president of the United States somehow is in a drag show, he is still the president of the United States. He might be Mrs. Whoever. No. (laughs) He is in the biggest office. He is in the most oval office on the planet. (laughs) Therefore, he is the president, regardless of whether or not he is in drag or not. Now, I'm not saying that's what the president does. I'm going to make a more oval office. I'm going to make a more oval office. It's going to be a real oval. Do it. It's going to be the real oval. I've actually seen the oval office. It's actually, it's pretty oval. So that's, Mm. that's a hard, pretty, pretty difficult task to do. Anyway. So we do the hot potato back and forth. Uh, Crash actually gets hit by Bubba. Trish covers him, wins the title. Bubba gets upset. And this is something that we talked about with uh, mine and Theo's expertise in the firefighting industry. Jazz sprays Bubba in the face with a CO2 canister fire extinguisher, which, 
hate to tell you, doesn't do a goddamn thing. Blinds him. Yes, it, it, it blinds, blinds him. him. But it, in real life, doesn't do a goddamn thing. Not even a it's little It's just bit. cold air. Yeah. It's cold air. And it's not even that cold. Like, I've been sprayed in the face with actual firefighting agent and not going to say, I'm probably going to have eye cancer by the time I'm dead because that shit is corrosive. Yeah. CO2, he'll, he'll just be out of breath for like five seconds. If that. So and he's been doing and He's been tossing people around, so he's already out of breath. So he, he'll just be fine. So Bubba being blinded by this CO2 fire extinguisher grabs Trish by the hair and puts her through a table. And then after having done so, has the referee help him wash his eyes out. While this is happening, Steven Richards crawls in, covers Trish, wins the title back, and runs out. Jazz. So, welcome to the first segment you ever got to watch on a professional wrestling show. How do you feel about it, Theo? Uh, we need to start a counter, and we're already at one for that counter. Uh-huh. Uh, for those of you listening at home, that counter is now just the why. That's all I'm going to say. That's all it is. That's all the counter will be. We're at two so far. Yep. Why? Tyler, while you're editing this, put a ding sound. Ding. Gotcha. Yeah, no, no the bell, the bell, that's going to be the why counter. Mm. I don't know. Um, I, I, I can't answer that for you. Uh, it just is. There you go. There's what, your explanation. What does your, profe- your robot professor say? Uh, my robot professor says, "Turn in your essay." Um, I, I I chose to to not go to school to be a degenerate. I I chose to go back to school because I'm a glutton for punishment. I guess. All right, so we'll go back next section. The NWO 2.0, I guess, comes out. What would we call this? era of the nwo i'm not entirely sure the 2002 version of what was once the nwo comes out and big show who is their enforcer i guess starts to talk about how he's been held back by the entire business and stone cold steve austin in particular and and all these different things and how big he is and then flair comes out talks about the sick man tag match they're gonna have later on this evening I don't know. Obviously, we didn't watch the week before this, so we don't know if it was pre-planned or if they're just announcing it now. But Flair announces that that match is going to happen. And then Scott Hall announces uh, something that will change the course of history that will happen later on in the ring. Theo, what do you think about the... I thought it was pretty interesting first, to see uh, uh, promo segment how many times they're going to mention the same damn thing. Mm-hmm. Like they kept on talking about um like the 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 next match, they kept on hitting a lot of talking points. You know, I'm gonna meet you at the next match. It's always in preparation for the next event while they're already at the same event. Like, I'm gonna meet you next week. It's it's a lot of hype for the next big match. The little matches in between are just build up shit talking and grotesquely um saying very sus things there were many sus things that have been said no sus all sus i don't i don't Gold dust no sus. sus no how dare you easily easily i dare Theron, what did uh what did you think 
I forgot how, I don't want to say bad the writing was back then, but how bad it was back then. <laughs> it was just a lot of fluff. That's yeah. really all it was. It was a lot of, I point finger at you, yell at you. You point finger at me, yell at me. Not a whole lot of substance going on in the promos back in 2002. Or at least and, this. And I think it was mainly because they were... They were one person's in the ring, the other person's standing at the end of the ramp, and we're just going to talk at each other. It wasn't yeah. really a lot of face-to-face -face confrontations. Mm -hmm. We'll get into oh, all the horrible of the promo between Hogan and Undertaker later. It was so that good, was though. Eventful, and you cannot say it wasn't. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. You know, how dare you put me in the position where I can form an opinion on this shit? <laughs> Uh, that's the whole point, is to get your opinion. Not that it matters, but... You you were the the non-biased advocate here. Yeah. Is that what I am? Is that what you appreciate oh, about me? Sick about 10% off there, Squirrely Dan. Oh, hey, look look at you, ground. All right, next up we have the European title match uh, between Spike Dudley and William Regal. Um, I, I asked I asked Theo this the first time, uh, to... I gotta lick my fingers so I can turn the pages. Oh, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Damn it, too many pages. Mm -hmm. Best part of this match. Do it harder. What, Do licking it. my finger? Best part. Yes, Daddy. <laughs> Not a BBS Just clean podcast. up afterward. All I ask. <laughs> All right. Not on my Christian Minecraft podcast. No, thank you. All right. Uh, so I did ask Theo about this, um, and let's see if Tehran paid attention or remembers. Tehran, how much does Spike Dudley weigh? Fuck, a piece of paper? <laughs> what is his official weight when he comes to the ring? Uh, shit, that was a little man. Um... 150, I believe. Look at you. He gets it right on the money. 150. He came out at 150 on a bad ankle. Oh my god. Yeah, so uh Spike Dudley, 150 pounds coming out to the ring. Uh after William Regal comes out. They play the insurrection flashback where they show like get his hurt ankle from trying to hit uh I believe his version is called the Dudley Dog. I believe that is the uh, the the name of his finisher. Uh, I believe in another all uh, another variation when it is hit by the Brian Kendrick. That is called the sliced bread number two. The sliced bread number three does not exist. How dare you? What about the Mamba number five? No, but we get to talk about my favorite thing in the entire world, don't we, Theo? So many things we get to talk about. All right, so let's bring it up. This is my favorite thing about this era, uh, just because it doesn't happen anymore. The fact that St Spike Dudley comes down to the ring actually limping after they say that he has an ankle injury. He actually shows that he is hurt. He actually shows that he is injured. He's not a Superman. And don't get me wrong, this guy is 150 pounds. If anybody is going to bounce back immediately from a twisted ankle, it's going to be Spike Dudley. 
but the fact that Spike Dudley actually comes down to the ring limping is something that nowadays does not happen. Daddy likes what daddy likes, you know? I mean, I just appreciate the fact that, you know, these guys are not trying to act like they're fucking superheroes who aren't ever able to get hurt. And nowadays it's a lot of, I'm injured, so I hold my arm or my elbow or my head, but I walk completely fine. Yeah. See, the, the, the big thing that you're not understanding here, Theo, is Tehran and I have watched this on and off for the better part of 30 years. We have seen a lot of people come down to that ring. And nowadays, what will happen is you will see somebody who the night before at a pay-per-view, they acted like their arm was broken and they limped off and they were covered in bruises and they were covered in welts and their head was busted open and they lost a gallon of blood and they walk out the next day and they look perfectly fine. Not a scratch on them. So... The fact that these guys went the extra mile for a little bit of continuity, yes, it kind of gets my dick hard, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be ashamed about that. I will not apologize for art. So can I kink shame you about other things then? No. Anyway, so Regal and and Spike go back and forth on the microphone a little bit. Regal basically says, "Hey, lay down. You you know you shouldn't be in this match. Just kind of lay down. Let me win the title." And Spike basically says, oh, yeah, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe I should. Maybe it's a smart decision. And then slaps Regal across the face, starts the match, puts up a good effort for like a whole 45 seconds. And then uh, Regal locks him in what I can only describe as like a a single Boston Crab toehold style move and it's like a uh, modified one because he had his head his foot on his head and spike is fucking a piece of paper so (laughs) just just balled him up in any way shape or form yeah uh then regal starts to celebrate with the title and starts to attack spike and tehran who comes down and saves spike the best wrestler ever d-lo brown yes for the win Yes. Him and his bubble head came <laughs> to the rescue. <laughs> oh, uh, in case you didn't see it, Theo, uh, D'Lo Brown is known for his uh, his signature taunt, which is basically just him being a bobblehead, just shaking his head all about his body. I hope that one day you get to see it because it is it's just him aggressively walking to the ring <laughs> with his neck loose as a goose head going everywhere. Just just all over the place. So his head is neither in nor out. It is instead shaken all about. Yes. It's just constantly. After that, I think they cut to a commercial, maybe, uh, and then come back. And we have a VTR in the back with Theo's favorite character in the entire world. Uh, we have Booker T and Goldust at 7-Eleven. Uh, Theo, why don't you walk us through this one? Okay, so what happened was, is uh, Booker is just, it seems like he's just like getting a, a an in-between match snack break kind of thing at 7-Eleven, which... Let's be fair. I've gone to the gas station in between work every now and then. I'm not about to judge. You got to get that Slurpee. 
Yeah, they uh, they were doing this promo or uh, promotional thing with Seven Eleven as a partner with like. Fun fact: that's what that's actually what promo is short for. Promotion. For those who don't know, I'm gonna promo my foot in your ass. Bring it, bitch. Let's go. Anyway, so yeah, Seven uh, Eleven was doing this promotional campaign with the WWE promotional promo. Yes. Rest like wrestlers had their own uh, like novelty cups for the Slurpees, like your extra large Slurpee with your favorite wrestler on it, kind of thing. And Booker was getting his own cup with a Slurpee in it, trying to promo that. And then Goldust in full regalia, face paint and all. And uh, was he wearing his wig as well? I don't believe he was wearing his wig. He was wearing a jersey and a ball cap. He was in disguise. He had Booker T couldn't recognize him. I've seen a cognito. I've seen a better disguise from like couple teenagers or like couple kids stacked on top of each other in a trench coat. Right, right. Like that episode of Rugrats where Tommy and 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 Chucky are stacked on top of each other in the trench coat. Like, and somehow works. Yeah. Yeah. It's that. But yeah, Gold does he's talking to um to Booker saying, Hey, they're trying to get you at this next match. Uh we we should team up. We should team up. You get my back. I'll get your back. And it was basically just like a, a little, um, I, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine thing. But then at the very end of it, at the very end, is what is what we're going to get to our third bell counter. Is uh, when at the at the end of their whole negotiation, Goldust uh, comes up to Booker and in a I don't want to say aggressive but it was aggressive in a sexually charged way but I don't know if it was sexual intent because I don't know if Goldust as a character is capable of that like oh, he fucks he but he is. doesn't know what fucking is he is there there is always sexual undertones to well, Goldust that's, that's undertones overtones side tones Goldust fucks but he he offered a trade, a single a simple trade like you would back in grade school during lunch. I'll I'll try to do the voice as best I can. I'll give if you give me a sip of your Slurpee. I'll give you a bite of my wiener. And 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 I left to the bathroom. Confused in myself after he says that. Confused and aroused. Confused, aroused, scared all at the same time. (laughs) The only thing that was missing from that segment, and I I have to do it justice, so hold on. We needed the world famous. (sighs) It's oh, oh, so good. You got my nipples hard for that one. (laughs) <laughs> Don't worry, you'll uh, you'll you'll deal with the gold dust plenty over the next lo- next little bit. After the Seven Eleven package, uh, package is a hell of a word for it. Package, uh, yeah, yeah. It's especially in this context, yeah. word choice, yeah. Mm. Uh, so after the Seven Eleven VTR, we'll call it. We jump in and we have a quick recap of the 
Brock and Sean Stasiak match from Insurrection against Matt and Jeff Hardy, where Paul Heyman basically tells Sean Stasiak, hey, you stay in the ring. Brock will handle everything. Uh, you don't have to do anything. Brock just needs a tag team partner. Hey guys, this is Tyler, one of your three co-hosts and also the editor of the Era of Ruthless Aggression podcast. So at this point in the episode, we kind of ran into a little bit of a snag. Uh, all three of our audio recording devices for myself, Tehran, and Theo all kind of just cut out at around the one and a half hour mark for where we had been recording. And we have no audio other than the audio from just my microphone, not the Discord call that we were using. So basically what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to pick this up at this point in the trial run that Theo and I did with just a single omnidirectional microphone in my office. It's not the best microphone, but please just bear with us. Uh, it will just be until the end of Raw and then... We have the SmackDown review audio ready to go. Again, I'm so sorry for the inconvenience. We hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. I just wanted to hop on and let you guys know that this is the situation. So you didn't think something was going wrong with your phone or something like that. It was our audio equipment that took a shit. So hopefully we won't have that problem in the future. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you. Now, back to the podcast. I've also noticed with Stasiak as well, he, he is, whenever they're introducing like uh, a wrestler into the match or something, they'll usually say from wherever, weighing at whatever, and then their name. Stasiak, he is from Planet Stasiak. What? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it is his own, again, I, I'm i going to be honest is with you. Is he an alien? Because he's not, he, he's not wearing any makeup or anything. It's just him in, uh, in, a, in underwear. I'm going to be honest, uh, I don't entirely know with Stasiak. Uh, Sean Stasiak is a, a stain on my memory that sometimes I will think about and then forget that he exists for another decade. Um, Sean Stasiak never made an impression on me. It, I don't remember why he is from Planet Stasiak. I don't know what Planet Stasiak is. I don't know the gimmick. I don't remember him um, other than he existed. So, but for that match, that was the only thing I really had to say about Stasiak. As far as Lesnar is concerned, the, only, the main thing I could say about this man is there is a term that people use to, to describe very largely built people. Uh, it goes um, built like a shit brick house irregardlessly that shit brick house was built like him do you understand do you understand the phrase that you are using and why it is a brick shit house i don't care it is an outhouse that is made of bricks oh okay it is large it is a brick shit house well he that brick shit house was built like brock lesnar yes this dude is a meathead i'm pretty sure You'd have to remind him to breathe. Like, does I mean he he probably is a very intelligent individual who knows exactly what he's doing. It's just the character that he seemed to have portrayed just looked like just the the meat. Six foot 
two or six foot three, 295 pounds, former two-time NCAA amateur wrestling division one national champion. Brock Lesnar is a fucking specimen. Um, I feel like less of a man thinking about this man. Yes. I mean. As I should. I, yeah, as you should. Um, as anyone should even, again e- even the even the women and the uh gender non-conforming individuals out there you yes. should feel like less of whatever you just should feel like less man. of a human yeah he is humanity yeah uh brock is uh very high intensity very fast paced but very hard knocks again very intense competitor his matches are always very quick very fast paced very technical but also very ferocious. He's been compared to an animal more times than I can count. But before the match, uh, let's go over a couple of quick things. We'll just touch on them. Flair's in the back, goes to the NWO locker room, finds an APA hat, starts to get suspicious of Bradshaw. Then we quickly cut to The Undertaker shows up and parks his bike. and And tells one of the stagehands, watch my bike. Yep. And then just walks off to go no, go do God knows what, because we also don't find out why he was there. He literally just left his bike and then eventually ended up coming back. But we'll get to that. Then we get to the Brock and Stasiak match. One thing I, I you know, bring up, Brock has, at this point, just debuted. So he has different music than any professional wrestling fans or any fans of this era would be used to, uh, which was weird for me to hear. Quick jump start to the match. Very high intensities we talked about earlier. Not a whole lot to talk about for this match. It wasn't very, you know, it wasn't a classic, but, you know, it, it, it was a match. I will say you will not understand this from the aspect of you don't really have a point of reference, but the F5 used to look so much better when Brock first started. His finishing move looked so much more clean. It looked so much more painful than now, and it, it just... Oh, I just love, I love seeing it. But Brock hits the F5 on Stasiak, wins the match. Throughout the match, uh, one thing that we brought up earlier earlier in the podcast, but it definitely goes bears repeating, the announcers are having so much trouble with the WWF versus WWE thing. Like they they stumbled over it like multiple times throughout the night, and it just it it became apparent to me in this match, listening to the, listening to the commentary, hearing these guys, they just keep stumbling over it. They keep not getting it right, which is just something that I noticed. And wasn't JR still wearing a, a, a jacket with the WWF logo yep. on it? Yep. JR was still wearing his uh, WWF logo shirt, uh, his classic button up shirt that everybody knows him for with the logo on the pocket. Next, we move on to, Undertaker does come back for his bike. We, again, uh, never figured out why he was actually there because he just shows up and now his bike is gone. Probably doing blow in the hooker, in the locker room or something. Yeah, well, you know. That, I, I w- that's a good place to do it. It's a good place to do it. But a lot of a lot of linear surfaces. Very. He speaks to the stagehand or security guy or whoever who was supposed to watch his bike. The guy tells him Hogan took it. He gets all upset and grumbles off. We go to commercial, come back. The Get the F Out campaign commercial plays again from the top of the show, plays again, coming back. Then we cut right into Hulk Hogan coming out on The Undertaker's bike, cuts a promo, 
tells the Undertaker he needs to come out and fight him and all this and that. Undertaker comes out, and this, I think, is where I originally noticed uh, the point that I, I keep bringing up in the, the, the joke that I keep making is the Undertaker comes out to Roland by Limp Biscuit, a very popular song at the time that obviously they had the license to be able to play. But to anybody who is a huge pro wrestling fan, there is a massive, massive piece missing from when Hulk Hogan comes out. And that is, there is no Voodoo Child. Voodoo Child is synonymous with Hulk Hogan after his like huge popularity as a good guy. When he originally became a bad guy, he started coming out to Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. As I mentioned to you, a joke uh, I wrote in my notes, uh, ah, back when Vince actually licensed music, and then in parentheses I put, not Voodoo Child, though, because it, it's just missing. I miss it. Uh, I it miss was it a so Wish.com version of Voodoo Child. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They go back and forth. Hogan says he's going to run Undertaker down on the bike and fails, like absolutely fails to even drive the bike. Gets off, chases Undertaker on foot, gets backstage, stays back there for a second, and then comes back out after what I can only assume is talking to the Undertaker and being like, hey, how do you drive your bike? Because I'm not used to this. And then running back out and getting on the bike and then driving the bike to the back. Yeah, he was uh, driving through the halls and all that. Yeah. 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 Uh, parks in the loading dock. <clears throat> where there just so happens to be a very conveniently parked 18-wheeler with the keys inside. Right. Yeah, because you're a semi-driver, and uh, you bring your load to the building. For some reason, you park in the actual parking lot of this uh, oh, professional it, stadium. In the stadium. It yeah, was, like, yeah, in yeah. the back stadium. Yeah. It wasn't even in the loading dock. Yeah. Like, I didn't have to... Like, I... Like, if yep. I was, if I was at, I, I would, I would, that sounds like standard practice. Just drive your truck yep. into the building. Yep. And you just, you know what? I'm going to go get a sandwich. I'm just going to leave my keys here. No one's going to touch my semi. Like, in the ignition. Right. Yeah. It's, just, it's right there. Yeah. Um, no one's, no one's going to be stupid enough to actually use this thing. Right. <laughs> what? Uh, and the person who is that stupid is Hulk Hogan. So he parks the bike in front of the semi, as Theo said. And decides, you know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna just, make this situation worse. Yeah, just he just, woke up and chose violence on a different level. Just goes into the 18 wheeler and decides, you know what? I'm gonna do it. And turns the 18 wheeler on and starts revving the engine and tells the Undertaker that, hey, I'm gonna run over your bike. Get out here. You so better I can get out your ass, here. Blah, 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 blah. Hey there, brother. You better get out here. I'm riding over your damn bike. Uh, and then that was actually a pretty good impression. It was. Yeah. It's was a great impression. Not not like not like Vegas level no, no, impression, no, no, no. but like I, I think if I put on like a muscle suit, I could do it. You could do it. I, yeah. I, I think Halloween this year. I think you know. Well, maybe next year. There we go. Yeah, yeah next yeah, year. Yeah. yeah, next year I can definitely do it. Yep. Uh, but then uh, they cut to a commercial in the middle of this, uh, and then they come back, and Hogan is still revving the engine and yelling at the Undertaker. To yeah. Go. So he's probably been in that in that uh, in that driver's seat for a good five five minutes. minutes. Good five, five minutes. minutes. Just just. You better get out of here, brother. Yep. I'm going to run over your bike, you son of a bitch. Wait vroom, a vroom, vroom. Get out of here, Undertaker. Vroom, vroom, vroom. For a solid five minutes. Yeah. Maybe, maybe maybe not one vroom, but two. Yeah. And if you feel spicy, 
three. Oh my god. I don't know what I oh heaven. I don't know what I would do to myself if we went to four. I oh. think I'm gonna oh oh, oh. oh, oh so slow down, big boy. So, All right. Hold on. Tease me. Right. Just don't break me. But he comes they come <laughs> back and immediately this, this, within twenty seconds he decides, you know what, I'm done. I'm I I I've I'm done giving you any any I'm, more time. And just runs over the bike. Um uh, th- this I swear this is a wrestling podcast. This yeah. isn't anything else. This no. isn't nothing other than a professional wrestling podcast. And if you think anything else, you might be right. Get so, your mind out. Yeah, of Yeah, get gutter. your mind out of the gutter. And if you're and if you're physically in a gutter, because we're we're with you everywhere. Yes. Why are you in the gutter, man? Like what 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 are you doing? Get yourself out. Yeah. Dig your. Th- just pull, pull yourself, yourself up. Buy your bootstraps. Yes. And get just out of there. Do it. Just just just. It's the old shot. Just yeah, just 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 do, do it. it. All right. So after uh, after Hogan runs over the bike, we have yeah, uh, segways. Yeah, that segways are not a thing here, man. Like I am not well versed in the art of segways, and a lot of the times it's just going to be so. Anyway, that happened, and uh, here's yeah, what happened next. Speaking of segways, uh, right after that, that we get to the swimsuit competition. No, 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 that's later. No, that is later. Ah. That is that is two segments after this. So there's a match in between. So if you don't have that written down, I will quickly go over this match: RVD and Jeff Hardy versus Booker T and Eddie Guerrero. One thing that I did notice is that almost every title still has the WWF logo, which doesn't surprise me. But for some reason, I specifically remember seeing that on the back of Steven Richards' hardcore title, it had a WWF logo, which that may have been just the design that it was the old, like, thick WWF logo and the F had just fallen off. But it to me, it stuck out that that one had a WWE logo. Every single other title still had a WWF logo because they didn't have time to make a whole new set of belts in a day to change the logo. So it doesn't surprise me. Probably not um, even a week. It's probably take a lot more time to, to make one of them things. Like you have to design. The design alone would take a hot minute. I mean, they they mass produce them, so it's not super hard to to get a, a replacement. But that. Again, it's just just something that I kind of noticed. Watching Rob Van Dam and Eddie Guerrero in a match against each other and now realizing that they will have a match at Judgment Day, which is the first pay-per-view we're going to review, I am so excited to watch that match because watching these two in a match just on Raw with no stakes whatsoever is fucking poetry in motion. I absolutely loved watching these two. It was fantastic that is my little synopsis of the match uh booker t very solid wrestler very you know does a great job jeff hardy does the same but when eddie and rob van dam get in the ring together it is just fucking amazing quick recap of the ending gold dust accidentally comes out and hits booker t unintentionally and then as the goober he is exactly obviously setting up to something further on down the road between Booker T and Goldust. Uh, maybe hinting at a match that they may have, but I, I don't I don't know. There don't is remember. no knowing with Goldust. There is no knowing. I don't even think he knows. The, uh, the absolute ending of this match was beautiful. A tandem Swanton Bomb and Five Star Frog Splash. Beautiful timing. Could not have been timed any more perfectly. Fantastic match. Uh, absolutely loved it. Uh, then we go to another segment in the back. 
Flair decides that he is going to go into Bradshaw's dressing room now that he earlier in the show went to the NWO dressing room and saw an APA hat. Now he's going to go to Bradshaw's uh, That's dressing room. That's where he finds room. that uh, NWO hat. He finds the or no. He finds Kane's mask. Uh, not Kane. Back. It was uh, no. no, it was Kane. Yeah, Kane's yeah, yeah, yeah. He finds Kane's mask. Listen, well, how I, are you going to correct me? No, because I, I could have sworn that it was... Um, do you see these eight pages of notes? Do you see these page and a half of notes? I, exactly. Anyway, I could I thought it was um, Smallpox. Yes, X-Pox. X-Pox. X, smallpox? Like smallpox. Yes. Really? Well, he's small, okay. so he's not many he's, small... He's not he many smallpox. Small. He is small, singular smallpox. No, pox. X-Pox. This is something we'll go over in the main event. They took the mask from Kane, and now X-Pac is wearing it. But ah. it is not his mask. It is Kane's mask. But anyway, this is before he finds the mask, he just decides he's going to go to Bradshaw's dressing room. Then we get to your, probably your favorite segment on the entire show. It was a great segment. The swimsuit competition between Molly and Terry. Do you want to recap what happened? Because I took a piss break at this point. <clears throat> because I just... I. It was, I, Molly was, she, was she the goody too? Um, names are still confusing. Yes. Okay, yeah, so Molly, the brunette. she was, uh, accepted this swimsuit competition and her character is very holier than thou. I, I, I'm a, am, am virgin. What is sex? <laughs> as, speaking as someone who is an avid D&D player, I do the sex I, so much. <laughs> I thought I do. Go. I do so many I of the want, sex. I 100% you were gonna go as someone who is an avid avid sex haver let me explain like i was very confused where that was going for a second i was like all right i guess we're doing this i i I do the sex so often with my dungeons and dragons all the time but she came out in this little like 19 or like very conservatively dressed one yeah and then terry terry Mm -hmm. actually shows up Uh and uh to quote uh, she showed off what God gave her. Yeah. And to which I replied, God did not give you those. Maybe Dr. Jode. But but that also did spike a legitimate question uh-huh. about like wardrobe malfunctions. Like yeah. how would they like legitimately like for female wrestlers mm-hmm. who are obviously dressed very, well, not very, but like it's very form fitting. Mm-hmm. You, you can't say that that's not a woman under there. Right. So like for like something like that, like, they're doing these very high-flying maneuvers, very physically stretching, very conforming, uh, contorting maneuvers. How would they le- legitimately f- uh, combat a wardrobe malfunction? Not because I'm searching for a titty pop, just because like this is something on national television. This is was it TV 14. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't exactly be showing 14-year-olds this on national television and remain in business. Right. Uh, so I did, we did talk about it a little bit and you know that we did talk about kind of the form fitting aspect of things. If, if things are form fit, they are not meant to come off, right? They are meant to fit the form. They are meant to not slip and not slide. But I also, there was another thing that I kind of talked about, or not talked about, something I kind of thought about is look at their male counterparts, right? Look at some of the males that are wearing just plain trunks just plain what most people would see as like a speedo basically and they're wearing that doing much more high-flying maneuvers doing much more intense things 
and they're not having a wardrobe malfunction. They're not having anything pop out that could pop out, you know. Well, um, very large things that could pop out, but some of them, it's some, just, of the, some of the bigger, like Big Show. It just depends. I mean, you don't know what Big Show has. I, I, I would believe him if <laughs> if he shows me a Vienna sausages and says this is a this is a Coney Island. I'm a fucking believe him. I'm not, who am I to tell the Big Show no? Roll for two sides. I'm it, it, thirty-five <laughs> is what he was gonna get. <laughs> that's inches, not centimeters. But anyway, like that's that's basically that's the best answer I can give you. Yeah, it, it, it's a combination of a couple different things, but that that's kind of it. All right, have we gotten have we gotten all the comments about the 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 swimsuit competition? You're the one. Out? You're the one like, focused on this. I just gave my two cents. I just and she gave her two double D cents. Mm-hmm. Okay, what else did you say after having watched all of the women's... Uh... Oh, yeah, uh, I've noticed that... Never mind, my dad could be watching this. Or my dad could be listening to this. <laughs> oh, just, yeah, just, okay, all right. We're just not going to put that there. Uh, all right. Um, but anyway, uh, he realized something about himself that only happens when he watches prof- women's professional wrestling. So let's, let's just leave that in the air. Yeah, I'm going to leave that in the air. That's fine. And, and and I'll let any one of them pick it up and use against me. Yeah, I'm sure you will. Hey, don't you judge me. All right, so we're in the last couple of things, last couple of segments for this episode. So let's 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 wrap this up right here. So uh, as we spoke about earlier, Flair makes it to Bradshaw's dressing room, finds Kane's mask, gets upset, goes out. Into the hallway, finds Miss Jacqueline, great professional wrestler in her own right. I, I hope that you get to see some of her matches in the near future. Asks her, hey, where is Austin's dressing room? She tells him, hey, just down the road, or just, just, just down the hall. Yeah, go walk this whole this whole street, just at the end of the street, that's where it's at. Yep. Yeah, okay. Um, well, that, that that's why uh, Hogan was able to ride that bike in there. It right. was an actual it was an actual road. Yeah. That's how big this universe right. is. It's right. it's it, it was in, measured in blocks. The 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 arena itself is is its a own city. city. It's a city. Right. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I I I'm, and the ring is just town hall. Right. And I'm I'm learning this for the first time and I I, I appreciate that. I appreciate I'm glad that. I could educate you. Thank you. Thank you're welcome. You so much. You you are so welcome. Anytime, anywhere. Anyway, segues. Segways. Segways are a thing. Um, back to, okay, uh, Flair finds his way to Austin's dressing room, knocks on the door. Austin is not there. His wife, Deborah comes out, tells Flair, hey, he just went to go get his knees taped up. He's not here. And Flair tells him, oh, tells Deborah, okay, well, tell him when he gets back uh, that I would like to talk to him. She says, okay, great. He turns around and Bradshaw is there. Bradshaw says, are you looking for me? I heard you're looking for me, or are you looking for me? Whatever, basically says, why are you looking for me? And Flair brings up, oh, well, I went into the NWO locker room and found an APA hat. I went into your dressing room and found Kane's mask. What's going on? And Bradshaw basically says, I don't owe you an explanation. I don't owe you a damn thing. Me and Austin are going to go down to the ring, and we're going to beat the hell out of the NWO. You can come with us, or you cannot. Up and then you. leaves. Then, after... All of that time, uh, Taker stumbles into the back and finds his bike under an 18-wheeler after all this time. Freaks out, tries to free it from under an 18-wheeler. Surprise! Doesn't work. Yeah, uh, you may be uh, a professional wrestler you are not with, with big muscles. 
I don't care if you were buried in in any kind of desert for however long you were buried in. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that even even Booker T with the five finger God rays that he's got could not lift a fucking car, let alone a, a what three and a half ton eighteen wheeler. Yeah, probably. And this is the this is a big Peterbilt. Yeah. Bitch looking motherfucker. Yeah. It was. Yeah, no, it ain't, it ain't, it ain't going a damn place. So, Taker freaks out, goes insane, throws a pallet at his own bike, which is already smashed, so I guess it doesn't matter, but also, why are you doing more damage to your own bike? I mean, uh, he paid for it, he can do what he wants to it. I mean, yeah, but also, he's gonna have to pay to get it fixed. If well, he it's, wants already, to it's already totaled, what's the point? He really likes his bikes. Yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with liking your bike, but I mean, if it's already totaled, you might as well total it more. Yeah, I guess. Speaking um, of which, you want to go find something in the ditch later on? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, for people in the ditch, we're coming for you. We're coming for you. After Taker throws his hissy fit, his temper tantrum. That's when the actual uh, six-man tag team. Well, so there was, a, there was another little 10, 15-second clip. A long-stretch limousine shows up in the back. The camera focuses in on it, and Kevin Nash comes out of it, another member of the NWO who was supposedly suspended or fired a couple of weeks before. I'm uh, not entirely sure. And then that hinting at, oh, well, Kevin Nash must be part of the surprise that's going to take place in the, in the last match, and he's going to come out. And then they cut to break, come back, and we have finally the six-man tag team match, NWO versus Austin Bradshaw and Flair. So... Bradshaw comes out again. I'm gonna harp on it. You can suck the entirety of my dick from the back. Bradshaw has a bandage on his head, and it fucking rules that he does. I bet you want to peel that bandaid off and like eat it for I, for your breakfast, don't I, you? I don't. Are you sure? Yes. Because you seem but... to. Because you know, if you do that, that bandage will be inside you. Oh my god! It'll be inside oh. you and part of you. Oh my god! Oh baby. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway segways are real yep so uh everybody gets down to the ring eventually they make their way match pretty standard six-man tag match everybody tags in and out as austin comes into the ring does a little bit of an exchange and then pushes i believe it was x-pac off and wanted big show to be tagged in his knee brace came undone. Yeah, I saw that. Notice that. Yep, <laughs> yep. It just came undone. He ended up strapping it back together. Mid match, yeah. Mid match, just go as with one it. does. Yeah. This is where I during this match it's the first time it's brought up. So this is where I'll say what we were talking about earlier. So they bring it up that a couple of weeks prior, I think like six weeks prior, the NWO jumped Kane beat him down, and took his mask. X-Pac is the one who took his mask and has been wearing it around as a trophy since then. So that this is actually where it's established why X-Pac has Kane's mask. Because it's not said before this point. And this is like the last 15-20 minutes of the show. So this whole show I've just been like, why the fuck does X-Pac have Kane's mask? And it's finally explained. I just wanted to bring that up because I know we talked about it earlier, yeah. but that that's this is where they actually establish it. Yeah. So now that quote unquote makes sense. 
Again, back and forth, back and forth. They end up putting Bradshaw through a table. Austin beats up multiple members of the NWO by himself. Hits a double stunner, which kind of corny, but also kind of cool. To me, I one thing that I put down is that they need a new Stone Cold in professional wrestling. Now, again, I know you don't have that kind of point of reference because you don't watch now, but that character of just like, he will take on anybody at any time and does not give a flying fuck and will just fight them to the death. And with professional wrestling, that fuck is flying for real. Yes, but just they, they need that. They need another Steve Austin. Then the referee gets knocked down and Austin goes in, saves Flair from getting flattened by the big show. I did not exactly write down all of the nuances of the match. Flair ends up with a chair and ends up hitting Austin instead of uh, any of the members of the NWO and turning on Austin and aligning himself with the NWO and announces that at Judgment Day, it will be Stone Cold Steve Austin in a handicap, handicap match. Not, they're, not, they're, not, they're not wrestling handicapped people or, or differently the, abled. Or they're not going after people in wheelchairs or yes. crutches or have astigmatism. Or, I, yeah, because yeah. that's a handicap. Hey, it's, it can be. I have astigmatism and it is not a handicap. Well, if you don't have a really bad one, I don't want to see you in the car after sundown anyway and i ain't gonna feed you after midnight either i'm not a gremlin yes i'm a goblin oh first of all oh i'm the dm here i play the dungeons and dragons i don't want to be lectured on my own thing anyway fucking tiefling looking ass uh the reason that we bring that up is because we want i am partially deaf in my left my left ear so i have to watch shows with the closed captioning on so that I can understand what's being said. And it I always know says that it is handicapped to yes, past tense. And that's yes, not the that actual is, thing. That is not the actual name. But that's always the joke. He was like, you're going to be in a handicapped match. He's like, okay, do I need to be in a wheelchair? Yeah, exactly. Do I need, what What kind of handicap do I have now? Do I have a, uh, am I, do I have strokes. a cast? Four strokes. Four strokes? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but announces <laughs> that there will be a handicap match. Uh, Austin versus Flair and Big Show at Judgment Day. So, I think, yeah, that covers Raw. That covers Raw. So we will, we'll, we'll, we'll pick up. We will pick up at a later date. But let's yeah. let's just go over these last couple of minutes. Let's just go over your first impression of professional wrestling. Go over your first show as a whole. Like, what is your impression? Are you know? Are you looking forward to continuing to do this, or are you just kind of like? I, I will. Eh. S- I will say I am looking forward to continuing this because, like, yes, the the storylines are cheesy and corny as hell, but that's the point. I'm not gonna be mad at getting a double cheeseburger, and there's cheese on it, or double. How dare? How dare they? McDonald's. I'm looking at you. Big Show tossing Bradshaw around. Like oh yeah, he was. He was. He really was. But yeah, like it, it is interesting to see what kind of the 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 extent of the pageantry that they will make with with all this because it, yes, it is a it's a play with all this action in there, mm-hmm. uh, and it's 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 really interesting to see like what kind of level of 
absurdity it is. And I, w- I don't want to say absurd as in it's stupid or not. It's just like there's it, it, WWE and professional wrestling, uh, it operates outside of reality's rules. It's it, all the rules only make sense within its own universe. That's why I keep referring to the, the, the world wrestling entertainment universe. It is just, it is its own universe. Like if you apply the rules to that outside, you're going to get shot, especially if you try to pull off what uh, Goldust was doing. I mean, um, we're not that far away from Baltimore. You get shot hands down. Which, and, and that's something that I think we talked about a little bit, but I, I don't I don't know how far in depth we went. But actually, currently, the fan base and the people who go to professional wrestling and, and, and all the people who watch sports entertainment nowadays and watch the WWE, they are actually called and referred to as the WWE universe. So I think it's... I it's didn't kinda, even know that. Yeah, it's actually pretty cool hearing that and like hearing you not in the same context, but like understanding that this is its own universe. It is its own kind of microcosm of the world where it is its own thing. It has its own rules. It has its own pageantry. It has its own extravaganza. Ex- yes. It, it is its own thing. And it it's is interesting. It's, it's very own. interesting to, to continue on with uh, seeing and, I, and I'm looking forward to it. Right. All right, so we are at two hours of recording right now. Two, two we'll, hours and some change of recording. We'll pick this up later, yeah. and we'll go over the same week's uh, programming of yep. SmackDown yep. Uh, again the same week, and we'll continue that off. Uh, Hopefully we can get uh, Tehran involved in that. If not, this week will just be Theo and myself, and hopefully Tehran will be back next week. We will be back instantaneously for you guys, but not for us with part two of this episode, SmackDown from May 9th, 2002. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the second episode of the Era of Ruthless Aggression podcast. I am Tyler, your co-host, and joining me today is one half of my co-host six-man tag team, Teron. Teron, how are you doing today? I'm doing great today. It is been a day, and this episode is going to be chock full of shit that I did not remember. Yep. No, I, I, I think that is one of the great things about this podcast, is it's just going to end up being a whole lot of stuff that you and I completely forgot existed, and then, like, sprinkled in with a little bit of, oh yeah, that happened, and then really looking forward to stuff that we do remember. So, um, unfortunately, guys... Uh, Theo is a little bit detained today, so uh, he will not be joining us, but we are going to cover the SmackDown episode from May 9th, 2002. Uh, This will probably actually go into the first episode alongside our original recap of Raw from May 6th, 2002. Uh, But we do assure you next week, Theo will be back, and we will be in our full glory with the full six-man tag team reviewing SmackDown and Raw from the following week. We've got a pay-per-view coming up. Yep. So next week will be the go-home shows for Raw and SmackDown going into Judgment Day. So not next week, but the following week, we will do a Judgment Day deep dive and then a SmackDown and Raw episode. So there will not be two episodes that week. Or there may be two episodes that week. Who knows? It just depends how crazy I am and how much editing I really want to do. So, But without further ado, let's uh, let's jump right in. 
this week. Not so much banter back and forth. We're not going to have an hour and a half intro into the episode. We're just going to jump right in. So we talked about a little bit the whole Get the F Out promo, you know, the commercial. Um, it's how they're opening things up. Obviously, it's still within. It's still fresh. We're still less than a week removed from the the original decision of like, hey, we're gonna do this. We're gonna change the name of our company. So I know we talked about the 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 raw intro on our previous recording, but I I, I have to admit, I forgot that Marilyn Manson did beautiful the beautiful people yeah. intro. Uh, I I like I knew obviously I knew he did the song, but like I forgot that Marilyn Manson's beautiful people was the intro to SmackDown for a long time. So seeing that, like, that was one of those nostalgic moments of like, oh my God, like, it just, just as good. Eh, okay, I won't say just as good. It's a step down for me from the Raw intro, just because the Raw intro is like top tier of all time, like my favorite intro ever. I don't, I don't know, man. I, it- <clears throat> I don't know what they had as far as their production team for Raw versus SmackDown, but I've always preferred Raw's intros over SmackDown's. I don't know why. It's just been... I don't know if it's because Raw was supposed to be the more aggressive, grungy side of it. I don't know, but it's it's always been a lot meatier than SmackDown's. See, I don't, I don't know if it was that. I think it might have just been that, like, for the longest time, regardless, like, even when they started it and SmackDown was, like, this huge, big thing, Raw was always the A show. Raw was always, the like, they call mm-hmm. it the flagship show. So, like, I think that just is the reason, is they were like, oh, well, this is Raw, so we're going to put all of our production value into this. And then SmackDown was kind of treated like an afterthought. I'm not saying that that's the case, but like it very much came across that way. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if that's just because it was Monday, so it was the first episode, first show of the week. So they were like, "Yeah, let's make this one top tier." And then SmackDown—that's Friday. That's the end of the week. We can tone it down a little bit. I don't know what the the whole mindset behind it was, but Raw has always been the better of the intros. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, we talked about it at like at length on the the previous recordings. Like, no matter what, I have always loved Raw's intro. It's been fantastic every time. I think at least there are people that did it. Like, I watched a, a compilation. I think it was either on TikTok or it was on YouTube. But I was watching one. Somebody made a compilation of all of the Raw intros over the years. Just banger after banger after banger. Like, they I obviously they have um. Across the Nation, which is the one that we uh, we are currently watching now. They also had Papa Roach did Want to Be Loved. Nickelback yeah. did Burn It to the Ground. Um, the current, I think it's the current one. The current one is by NF. It's uh, mm-hmm. The Search, which like, bold song choice. Like, straight out of the gate, bold song choice to choose a song about contemplating suicide as the opener to your show. But like... Hey, you know, you do you. I said it works. Hey, it works, you know. But uh, yeah, so so we get, we get through the opener um, again. Uh, we talked about it on the, the previous recording. They're in Connecticut again. They're in Bridgeport this time. Uh, I didn't look up how far away it was, but Connecticut's not massive. So like they're not far from their home base, which just again to me is, yeah. is kind of funny uh, that they're right near the home base when they're doing this. 
kind of controversial opinion here, okay? So, like, I, I don't get me wrong, love Taz and Cole, but, like, they're just not as good. And, and don't get me wrong, no, nobody's, nobody's, nobody's as good as JR and King. That's not what we're saying here, but, like, it, it's so... There's such a huge gap between the skill level of the, the commentary teams, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and it's it's weird and funny because the formula for the teams are the same. You've got a ex retired ish wrestler and a commentator who's only commentated on wrestling. But I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the age of them, and Jr. and King are just leagues above Taz and Cole. I don't know what it is, but their their they, commentary is just top tier. They are. That's the thing is they they are just leagues above. And don't get me wrong, like I, I there was also a point in time when it I think it was JBL and Cole. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying those guys are better. I'm not saying that, you know, Gorilla Monsoon and uh Jesse Ventura are better. I'm not, you know, it, they are a great commentary team, but like just seeing i guess i'm not trying to tear them down i'm using it as like they're this just proves how much better jr and king actually are and how great they are and how we took them completely for granted and we don't deserve either one of them no it's it's crazy it is so crazy to even think of JR or King anywhere else the yeah. WWE. Yeah. The fact that JR is now on AEW is mm. insane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and to hear the things, you know, over the years, him and Vince, like the, the arguments him and Vince got into and like the reasons that Vince would just randomly fire him for next to nothing. Or he's just, you know, he walked out and was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Obviously, money talks. So he's, he's going to yeah. go somewhere if he's going to make a shitload of money. I would too, like, don't get me wrong. But just the fact that he's not doing this with King anymore, it just, it, it hurts my heart. It hurts my heart. And it, it kind of hurt my heart to be like, you come into SmackDown and like, you're expecting that like super hype intro that you get on Raw and like, Cole gives it his best effort, but they're just, they're not there. They're not where they need to be. There, there will never be another King and Cole, or not King and Cole, King and Jr. There will. There <laughs> I mean, there will never be another King and Cole, but, but yeah. So we do, uh, we do a little intro, Taz and Cole, kind of back and forth a little bit. Starting right off the bat, Stacy Keebler comes down to the ring with Mister McMahon and all of his yeah. misogyny. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Two things that I did kind of want to go over those like. The the I didn't realize this, and this is embarrass kind of embarrassing story time. But when I was a kid, I watched professional wrestling more, and like that was my only outlet to like the mainstream media. So like, I've gone back and rewatched what I grew up watching in professional wrestling, and been like, oh, that's how I know this reference. That's I literally when I was in school, my teachers would in English class would ask me what words meant. And I would tell them, mm-hmm. and the only reason I fucking knew it is because of Jr. He would use big words. Jr. is the only wor- the only reason that I know the word inadvertent even into my adult life. 
And it, like just context clues figured out what it meant. So like I a lot of this stuff when I was a kid, a, a lot of this stuff was my only reference. And as I grew up as an adult, I heard a song by ZZ Top called Legs. And I was like, hey, that sounds really familiar. That sounds like that song that Stacy Keebler used to come out to. Had no idea what a cover was. And I was like, wow, these guys ripped that song off. Now as an adult, I'm like, I'm, I was a dumbass for not knowing this. But yeah, Stacy Keebler comes out to, honestly, I, I prefer the cover to the original. That's just a, a me thing, but like maybe it's just because I was a kid and I got to watch Stacy Keebler come out to it every time. <laughs> it just takes me back when I hear it. But yeah, the the legs cover, love it. The SmackDown entrance graphic is dope. Yeah, I love the little weird. like pop up box with somebody's name, but it's not the it's not the slate down at the bottom like you're used to seeing on Raw or even on their pay per views. It's the little like side thirds that comes up and like has their name and stuff on it. Um, I think it gives yeah, that's thing. It, it gives you a little bit more context to yeah. who they are. Cause it gives, I think their weight where they're from. Yeah. Um, if they've got a title or not, yeah, yeah. sometimes it depends on who it is. If they're, like doesn't it give former, like little factoids um, too? Yeah. Or is that, or am I so. getting that confused? I don't know. I think it. I think it used to. Yeah. It might not anymore. I. I'm not entirely sure. I just. I know that I wrote that down, and I know exactly what I meant. I like. I love the look of that graphic. I think it's dope, mm-hmm. and I think it's a great idea. Rather than having, like I said, just the the slate that comes up on the bottom. Like I will say, this was kind of uh, another one of those things that I noted. Like, I didn't find out until right like in this at the beginning of smackdown so i'd already watched all of raw i hadn't i didn't figure out until the beginning of smackdown what was going on because they didn't really talk about it or maybe i just didn't notice it um but this was the point in history where vince was uh vince was the quote unquote 50% owner of the company with flair and they decided, you know Mm -hmm. what, we can't work together. So flair like basically owns quote unquote raw and Vince owns quote unquote SmackDown. When in all actuality, we all know Vince is in charge. Vince owns the whole company, but in, in storyline in Canon, Vince and flair own 50% of the company split it down the middle and Vince runs and owns SmackDown and Flair runs and owns Raw. Which I also thought was kind of weird. I remember that in his graphic it said co-owner. Co-owner. Yeah, and they just didn't address it, but they talked about it here. They they gave a little bit of like a blurb back and forth of like, yeah, Flair owns, you know, he's the 50% owner and owns Raw. Vince is a 50% owner and he owns SmackDown. So this is the first point when I remember them bringing it up, like actually talking about it. It's kind of like the X-Pac thing with, with the, the mask. Mm. Like one thing that I definitely remember about JR is he likes to bring, like he, he brings people in. He, he makes people part of the story. So like 
when you start something or when you, when something continues, he brings people up to up to speed. Like he tells people, hey, this is what's been going on, you know, and he tries to like put in little blurbs and make sure everybody knows kind of what's going on. And I'm going to guess it had just been long enough. I think it had just been long enough that if you like you, you, you almost at this point, you couldn't go back and watch previous Raws unless you were recording them. So like, I guess it had been long enough that he assumed if you know, you know, if you don't know, you don't know. So like, there's no point in bringing it back up. Um, but yeah, this is the first time they really say anything about it is, is the opening as uh, Vince is coming down to the ring uh, to, to join Stacy. I saw a random star Wars Bro. sign in the crowd. I don't know if you noticed that. I just looked up at the right moment and saw just sort of, it literally. And it wasn't like a, you know, somebody made a, a, a logo that said something else in the Star Wars. It just said in the Star Wars font, Star Wars. No reason. No, no context. No clue why. Just Star Wars. I uh, thought I needed to bring that up because back then there was a lot of just bring a sign. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter doesn't what matter the what sign is. Just bring no, sign. yep. Just, just bring, just bring it. Doesn't matter. Who cares? Yeah, actually, just, yep. I just saw it because I've got it playing in the background. Yep, and, yep. Yeah, just, just right Star Wars. there. Yep. So Vince kind of calls out Hunter and tells him, you know, you can't come within you know, 10 feet of me or whatever. And basically is like, Hey, you know, basically he's trying to, you know, come in big dick swinging as the owner of SmackDown and didn't realize until obviously a few minutes after this Hunter is supposed to kind of, I guess, be like SmackDown's version of Austin where like everybody likes him. Everybody likes him, but like he's not, just a pure like white meat baby face, I guess. He's he kind of still a dick. But yeah. It's it's everyone likes him except the authority. That that's pretty yeah. much what they were going with there. I guess this was them trying to make another Austin I say maybe like a hard or not a hard, a soft try to make another Austin because yeah, Triple H was the likable Anti babyface, mm-hmm. yeah. Anti hero. Uh, all uh, everyone loved except the authority. He got into it with everyone, but the fans loved him. Oh yeah, no, and and I think it's funny because he he comes out right, like he comes out and does his like entrance thing and whatnot. Immediately breaks the whole like ten foot rule just just to walk by Vince to go to the corner. Like comes six inches from Vince as he's walking by and I'm like, well, he just fucking broke that rule. Like doesn't care. So it kind of, I think that kind of defeated the whole effect of like what he was going to do in a few minutes of like closing that gap to like intimidate Vince. It doesn't really work when you've already like come six inches from Vince as you're walking in to go sit in the corner and do your thing. It was uh, good up until that point yeah. because He's walking down the ramp, and Vince and Stacy move to the opposite end of the ring, mm-hmm. and then they sit in that corner while he does his spit take, and then yeah, gets in the ring, and he's just like, "Yep, I'm right here," and then we're gonna walk all the way back over here. <laughs> so he just goes by, goes by Vince, seeing uh, again, he's not a baby face, but like seeing good guy Hunter 
is weird. It just, yeah, it's weird, dude. I, I'm half tempted to say I don't like it because he's so much better as a bad guy. He's so much better as a heel. I don't want to say he's not a good babyface. To me, I guess because I grew up watching him be a bad guy so much, he is so much better and he's so much more believable as a bad guy. Oh, definitely. I feel the same thing about Randy Orton. Like yep. watching him, like we get to him later on in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing him as a baby face, I was like, this is this is weird. And just seeing it's jumping back for a second to Taz or yeah, to Taz and Cole. It is so weird to see a young Cole. Oh my that god, was the right. Most, I was like that is Cole. That is young Cole. At least, gross. at least it's not like mid to late nineties Cole where he has the like spiked hair with the frosted tips. Oh God. Right. <laughs> like I thought about that the other day and I was like, okay, yep. That we're going to take that, put that in a part of my brain that I don't <laughs> open for another 20 years. <laughs> like, yeah. So they go kind of back and forth a little bit. Um, can they just get away with whatever they fucking wanted? Like, could they just say whatever they wanted back then? Because, like... Wholeheartedly. Because, <laughs> like, Hunter's just openly talking about Vince and Stacy having a sexual relationship and mm-hmm. just, like, making a whole bunch of sexual innuendo and, like, sexual references without actually saying anything that's like shouldn't be on tv but it kind of like the it's it's weird and like i watched this as a child and just (laughs) you know that just just right over the top of my head like i had no idea what was going on Didn't, didn't catch not a word any of it nope also Hunter just openly says bullshit on TV and he's yeah fine no one cares <laughs> like no one says anything no, no one cares so that just just i i think they did they say they were on UPN at this point i didn't write down ah uh, i can't remember cuz i, I remember bleep it out but i i don't think they they had anything at this no. point no cuz like cuz if they were on cuz Raw is on TNN at this point, right? They're on Turner's network, Mm -hmm. funnily enough. A year after he buys WCW, he goes on Turner's network. He's just like, lays the dick on the table, because fuck you, I guess. Um, But I think they're on UPN, and if I remember correctly, when I was a kid, UPN was like one of our local stations. Yeah, it was. So like PBS, CBS, CS or MSNBC, Fox, UPN, mm-hmm. and you just have Hunter openly saying bullshit on TV. Okay, whatever it is what it is. Um, and again, this is all before it was pre-recorded, so this yeah. is all live. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, all a hundred percent live. In case you, me, or anybody listening didn't feel old enough. Uh, Hunter fits in a good, timely reference with an Anna Nicole Smith joke and just makes me feel like I'm 105. Like, 
I feel like I am the age of Anna Nicole's husband when they got married just from hearing that joke. Like, that that's how old that fucking joke makes me feel. Uh, we get the after they go back and forth, we yeah. get the the wrestling bodyguard posse of it was Holly, Christian, I think Tess, yep, um, our favorite Caster Dudley, um, and I, I know I'm missing one other person, Lance Storm. Yep, Storm. Yep. So I had it written down. Yep, Test Christian, Devon, Storm, and Hardcore Holly come out. And attack Hunter. They just lay into him. Uh, and then Jericho comes out. Hunter fights back a little bit. Return of... Well, not return, because this happened 21 years ago. Um, but yeah. first time I'd seen one in a long time. The chair shot to the head. And it is not mm-hmm. blocked. It is not... Uh, obviously, he took the shot to the head. But it is not like blacked out. Like You'll see a lot of times what they'll do is they'll like cut the feed for half a second. Mm-hmm. So you see the start of the chair shot, you hear the chair shot, and then you see the guy fall, but they'll black out that like second in between yep. like when it like just when it makes contact. Um because I was showing my yeah, wife if you guys ever watch ever watch it like wrestling matches mm-hmm. from older they'll like on YouTube or something. Yeah, you'll you'll get the wind up and right before the impact, and then it'll freeze for that like millisecond, yep. and then you'll see them on the ground. That's that's how they block out chair shots to the head because yeah. they are not allowed anymore. Yeah, I was actually my like I was showing my wife, which I think I still need to send you that list, but uh, my wife and I have started making our way through. It's a list I found on YouTube: 101 WWE matches that everybody needs to see, and it's from like the best matches of all time to like the absolute worst that people just need to watch because they happened. And it's, it's a a way Mm. to just kind of encapsulate what WWE is. But I I started showing my wife that, and we made it through a couple of like, we'll just randomly, we'll go to like one of those number generators or whatever. And we'll, we'll just pick a random number. So we'll watch them. And a lot of them are like really technical matches and stuff. So we watched a few and then eventually got to one where there was a chair shot and I didn't realize it. And it was basically, it was what you, what you said, like on the network of wind up freeze. And then the guy's on the ground and she was like, what happened? I'm like, yeah, they don't, they don't show that anymore. Like I hate to tell you, and but this will be the first, cause I think there was a chair shot on raw. Yeah. Uh, on this raw, but this would be the first one that we bring in our, World famous bleeding after chair shot. Yes, from our our oh. very famous and world renowned razor blades. Oh my god! And Hunter was always like, Hunter always had so much juice when he would, when he would fucking blade. Hunter would have so much blood. Yeah, I think I and this one I think he I think he did it twice because he did it right after the chair shot, and then I think while he was in the walls of Jericho, I think he mm-hmm. did it again just to to make him bleed even more. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, Hunter Hunter was a bleeder. So there was all there's always been three that I really remember, and uh, like I'm not I'm not gonna include like guys that one time are known for having like a really bloody match. So like. 
I don't really consider Austin. Um, like he bled quite a few yeah. times and like, there's always that, like that unforgettable image of him in the sharpshooter against Bret Hart at WrestleMania. And he's got the blood mm-hmm. pouring down his face and like, yeah, it's an iconic thing, but like Austin didn't bleed a whole lot. Um, Eddie has what I think is recorded as the bloodiest match ever in uh, his Judgment Day match from, I think it's 2004, so we'll eventually get to that. He actually severed an artery, I think, in his forehead when he did it, so he, like, just spurting out. Um, Vince had a match like that against Undertaker. Uh, Actually, the... Uh, mm-hmm. buried a live match against the undertaker uh vince bladed i think he bladed don't get me wrong i don't know if he did or not if he did he fucked it up if he didn't he is lucky to be alive with because he gets hit i think he gets hit with a shovel in the match yeah. and he cuts like his forehead is cut and i watched it with michelle i watched it with my wife and it was lit, like blood was literally spurting out. Like you could see it like spraying on the canvas. Yeah, and my, it and was, it was bad. My watch, like my, my watch, my wife watching the match as a healthcare. She used to be a healthcare professional. Like my, my wife watching this match, she was so concerned. Like she saw it she saw what happened and she saw the blood coming out and she's like, that's dangerous. Like the fact that he's even still alive after that. Yeah. There's a, there's a few, few moments in McMahon's quote unquote wrestling career. (laughs) He should not be around anymore. Say what you want about Vince. Vince is a two time world champion. So I don't want to hear it. How many world championships do you have to world champion? One. One? (laughs) One, goddammit. I bought it myself, but I fucking got it. (laughs) What I was going to say is, like, those guys, to me, like, the the moments or the matches where it's super bloody don't really come to, like, come to mind. But two, well, three guys, obviously, we talked about Hunter. Three guys come to mind. uh, Two guys other than Hunter. So, uh, Ric Flair comes to mind solely because even if he, like... Even if he only got a little bit of blood, his hair was so blonde. It was so bleach blonde that the blood would run into his hair and it would dye his hair red for the rest of the match. So it was just always that, like, didn't matter if he got, you know, six drops of blood come out of his forehead or he was gushing, his hair was dyed red. For the rest of the match. Um, the other one. Yeah. I think. I don't even think. I, I'm not even sure. If Flair even. Bladed. He was just. He was just so prone. To so. I, I think. He did. For the longest time. But. He got to the point. Where. I've seen him do this. So. Basically what happens. Is like. He has so much scar tissue. On his forehead. All he's got to do. Is ball up his fist. And use his knuckles to like tap his forehead a few times and it just breaks right through the scar tissue and he just starts bleeding. I've seen him do it. Like he hardways himself all the time, but it doesn't take anything. It's not like the guys that mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm not allowed to use a blade. Okay, cool. 
punch me at the right angle, like punch me down and hit me with your, like right above my eyebrow with your knuckle and it'll break open. No, he was just like tap himself in the forehead. Kind of like, uh, obviously not the same, but like when Sandman would come out and like bash the beer can over his head and he would bleed before the match even started. It was kind of like that, except he's not even using an object. Like he's not, he doesn't have anything in his hand. It's just his hand doing it. But the other one that the other one that has to be brought in this conversation is Shawn Michaels, because he did not bleed yeah, a I lot. I was going to say that Shawn Michaels is another one. He did not bleed a lot, but when he did, holy fuck! When Shawn Michaels bled, he bled so much, like it was ridiculous. Like, but I, and I guess he's the guy who like knew when to do it. Right. Like the, the big matches of his career where he did it, you know, you've got hell in a cell. You have the last man standing match with him and Hunter, uh, at the Royal rumble in 2004, uh, the year that Benoit won, uh, the year that sets up the triple threat match, uh, the triple threat match with him and the, the triple threat match that never happened. Yes. The one that, according to everything in history, they just walked away. Neither one of them was yeah. the, the winner. Yeah. The title they, just decided to leave. Yeah, the title just left. Like, there, there, was no, there was no champion at WrestleMania 20. But yeah, so, and, and then in that match, obviously, he bled quite a bit. Um, I think at the backlash after that, he bled um, the Survivor Series match where it was uh, Team Bischoff versus Team Austin, which I'm really, really looking forward to reviewing. Because to this day, that's one of mo- one of the most emotional matches. Um, I I love watching it back. Um, super emotional for me, just because I loved Stone Cold as a kid and like seeing him uh, get um, him basically being shoved off and being like, oh nope, he got cheated and he's just he's gone now. But in that match, Michaels bleeds so much. But yeah, those are like the big the big bleeders when it comes to that is those guys are the, the big, big bleeders and they would take a fucking chair shot head on, did not care. They would take it gladly. Nowadays, nowadays you're just not allowed to do it. Fucking concussions and whatnot. I'm sorry. If you're not going to use it correct, it's kind of like Hunter with the sledgehammer, right? Like, if you have a sledgehammer and you're aiming yeah. it at somebody, you're not going to put your hand around the head of the sledgehammer and hit them in the stomach or hit them in the shoulder or hit them with your hand in the head. You're going to fucking swing it and you're going to try to crush their skull. So it's just not believable. Like, don't use it if you're not going to use it correctly. And that's one of the things with Hunter and his sledgehammer. For a while, I believe they... They just used a rubber head, yeah, which made it more believable when he hit people. Mm-hmm. But after a while, that took that away. So that that's when you start seeing him covering the head yeah. of it with his hand before hitting someone with it. Yeah. And anyway, uh, one thing. So back to Jer- Jericho's beating up Hunter, uh, puts Hunter in the walls of Jericho. Vince announces uh, through a mic that it sounds like they either only had the house mic up or didn't so, yeah. yeah it like you could hear it but not well um 
but he he you know announces that uh Jericho and Hunter are going to be in a hell in a cell at judgment day um and then for some reason I don't know actually I do know why I put it cuz it's true but like I I needed to put it down so it obviously was that apparent Jericho has very loud pants like his pants are just very <laughs> vibrant and very like they're just they're loud Jericho's pants at this point was if you gave a 12-year-old from the 2000s a bejeweled machine and a pair of pants and just said, go to town. Just go. Like, oh my god. It was ridiculous. Like, I saw them and I was like, holy shit. And they're bright pink. They are bright pink pants. Full-grown man trying to pull off that he is a rock star in bright fucking pink pants. Okay. His, his red tip ponytail yes yes his bread tipped ponytail uh i think this is right after he shaved the really long um goatee that he had that he would just put like three rubber bands in and i'm like okay it- yeah this is this is i want to say what maybe a month after he shaves his beard yeah so he's not out here with a mouth or a skin full of beard anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say it was like right it was around the time that he won the undisputed title. So it was it was shortly before this. It was like within a year before this, I think. But yeah, so that's the that's the opening segment to to Smackdown about said Ra. That's the opening segment to Smackdown. Um kind of got off track a little bit there, but I think it was all I think it was all pertinent information. Definitely needed to be discussed. Up next, we have Tajiri versus the Hurricane for the Cruiserweight title. And I wanted to also bring this up. Yes. Back then, mm-hmm. title matches happened on a regular basis. Yes. They were just fucking anybody that had a title. Hey, tonight you can have a title match. Yes. I put. Is it important? Really? Literally, right here in that, like. Right here. Uh, it's like my fourth note on this segment, right? Uh, it says, back then, every show was special. Title matches and title changes happened all the time. Like, it actually fucking meant something. Instead of now, where it's like, obviously, at time of recording, Roman Reigns has been champion for like over a year, I think a year and a half at this point, I think. Or no. Yes, the the or- But the original... Back. The original title that he won, technically, since he hold or held two, oh, and then yeah, they combined yeah. them or whatever. Um, the it's first one combining title shit. Oh, no. The first one he's held for over a thousand days. Like he hit, he hit a thousand days. So I mean, that's well over two, almost three years at this point. I think. Um, yeah. I don't know. Math's hard, but. Um, yeah, that that was something that like I same thing. Back then, title matches happened regularly. And it may not have always been a title change, but like the the titles got defended, right? Like that but I remember yeah. I remember at this time multiple different stories happen or storylines happening where the reasoning or the, you know, whatever behind them or 
they would change somebody's uh, trajectory. Like, oh, you're not going to be doing this anymore. Um, this guy got hurt. Well, we're going to strip him of the title. Well, why? Well, because he doesn't defend the title every 30 days. Nowadays, pff, yeah. when's the last time a title was defended every 30 days? Fucking never. 24-7. Shut the <laughs> fuck up. <laughs> I'm not talking about that stupid-ass fucking coin-looking... That's your title of defense right there, the 24-7 Jesus. That motherfucker got defended on main event. You remember that Wednesday show that they had? That, like, nobody ever watched but stayed for for some reason, just stayed in production for, like, oh, I don't know, six years? Nobody watched main event. uh, Heat? All right, listen, motherfucker. I watched Heat all the time. (laughs) Heat and velocity were my shit because I was a kid who didn't like to go to bed. So I would go to my grandparents on Friday and Saturday. And on Saturday night, I would stay up until late as fuck o'clock and I would watch velocity. So shut up. You know that you don't have to defend it. Velocity and heat were great. I don't even know what to call them. Fantastic. The, the rosters were so stacked that there was no need for undermined shows. Right. There there was no need. But um, that's the cool thing. That that was the lesser shows. But that's the thing is those were also really good shows because things would happen on those shows that would affect the main shows. So like you'll see on Raw every once in a while they'll be like, "Oh yeah, last night on Heat this happened." And now we're dealing with the consequences of that. So like the fact that it happened like that back then, where your fucking C and D show, you got Raw as your A show, SmackDown as your B show. It, flip a fucking coin for whether Heat or Velocity is your C and D show. They're both C and D shows. But you have your C and D show affecting your A and B show. That shows that they actually matter. We're not going to talk about shows like, you know, what was it, fucking the Saturday morning slam or whatever that they had. It was like an hour, hour and a half Saturday morning show. As we talked about main event, um, what the two Oh five live, like all these shows that they've had that have been beached, like C D E shows. And you have back in the day, SmackDown raw heat and velocity. And, like, they all affected the main shows. Now, don't get me wrong. You didn't have, like, major, like, storyline shit going on on Saturday and Sunday on Velocity and Heat. But, like, stuff like this, like the Cruiserweight division. Yeah, like the Cruiserweight division, like Hurricane and Billy Kidman and Tajiri and guys like that. Those guys were on Heat and Velocity and they were having this stuff like their stories were playing out on these, these lesser shows. Um, but let's jump right back into, okay. So we're talking about Tajiri and hurricane. Uh, did we notice that technically the cruiserweight title that they are using at this point in time is technically still the WCW cruiserweight championship. Pretty sure it still says WCW on it as well. Cause they're not, we start seeing the actual WWE titles until what? next month it's it's sometime in the near future because i think by 2003 they had uh wrapped it up and they had made the wwe cruiserweight title that we remember 
I remember mm. Rey Mysterio holding when he debuted. So there's there there's that. That's something that I wrote down. Did you notice the little nod? Cole actually brought up the lawsuit during the entrances yeah. of this match. Yeah, he actually they actually bring up the it WWF WWE. No, it was Cole. Cole brings it up, but they both talk about it. Yeah, because Taz was like, because um, everyone's going to confuse a WWE superstar with uh, what was a, it? Panda. a penguin or something a like panda. that. Yeah, a panda, because that's their logo. And I'm like, oh, damn, they are just like full on just going for it. Yeah, I thought that was funny. In this current storyline to drop our, our fans into the middle of this, Tajiri is currently, quote unquote, dating Tori Wilson. Uh, and apparently... From the commentary, we are told that uh, he, cur- he in sometime recently in the past, used her in a match against Billy Kidman, which, for anybody who knows anything about anything in the back, funnily enough, who does she end up marrying? I don't know if it was before this or after this. Tori Wilson actually ends up marrying Billy Kidman in real life. They are together. They, I, they might not be yeah. together anymore i don't know but i know they did end up together um i just thought that was kind of funny uh that her future husband and this is this is back where they like to keep uh fame. so yeah. real life and wrestling was very strictly yeah. kept separate this is so th- i think this is yes and no right so like in the 90s Obviously, you you had a lot of guys still living by that. A lot of guys still living by kayfabe. You had a lot of guys who lived their gimmick even into like the Undertaker just broke, quote unquote, broke character for the first time in thirty plus years. What last year started doing mm-hmm. podcasts and he has a one man show now and like did a documentary yeah. about his whole life and whatnot. I'm like. I could have gone the rest of my life. Like, I, I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love Taker doing it. But, like, I could have gone the rest of my life without ever hearing the Undertaker act like a normal human. And I would have been perfectly fine. Yeah, speaking of that, I, I just watched him on um, Stone Cold's podcast. And yep. them reviewing, like, clips of everyone trying to make him break mm-hmm. character. It was hilarious. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so, like... I think at this time, kayfabe was kind of going out the window. I think some people still very much lived with it and like lived by that rule. But I, I don't think it was it as prevalent as, as it had been in the past. But obviously, again, uh, if Tori and Billy were uh, married at this point, they obviously kept that under wraps and, and it didn't come out until a few years later, I think. Um, it may have been very yeah. common knowledge that they were married. I don't know. But it didn't make it to the show that they were married. Right. Um, this would have been Theo's favorite episode. Oh. Or at least one of them. Oh, absolutely. Um, he definitely, definitely enjoyed this episode. But we'll get, we'll get to that down the line. Uh, one thing that I noticed, Taz cannot say the word loyal. Says that Tori is quote-unquote Lowell. Lowell. Like Lowell, Massachusetts. Instead of saying loyal, uh, that's his, uh, his New York coming out, I guess. And then this was the point, this, this was the point when I made the point, the, the point in my notes when I said 
back then every show was special title matches and changes happened all the time because they they did like we talked about they they were all the time kind of thing Toronto, you want to do you want to do you want to talk about how the match ended uh, yes so this match between tajiri and the hurricane tajiri comes out with tori wilson she is in a geisha or geisha um attire and the match goes on um Hurricane and Tajiri are fighting. Tajiri's setting up for his buzzsaw kick. Tori gets on top of the announcer table and starts stripping. Down to just the lingerie that she was wearing and caused Tajiri to lose the match by countout. No title change because that's not how you transfer a title. Nope. But yeah, that this was this week's, mm. well, not this week's, this episode's mm-hmm. fan service. Last week it was the bikini match or Monday yeah. the bikini match. Today it's Tori Wilson just stripping. Yeah, predominantly, obviously we talked about uh, predominantly a male audience, so uh, we're trying to keep our fans happy, I guess, at this point. Yeah, I I don't have a whole lot to say about this. It, it this is one of those things that like it happens, and I'm like, yep, that's that's pro wrestling. It was, it was one of their one of their throwaway matches to get the fan service out of the way. Yep, absolutely. Um, so I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna skirt right by this. I, I got nothing to say about it. Um, cut to the back. Vince, Stacy, and Jericho are in the back. Uh, Vince says that he's gonna punish Hunter. Devon comes out, or comes to the back, and, uh, basically volunteers himself for a match against Hunter. Vince says, okay, basically saying, like, if Hunter refuses, he'll get fired. Then we... Cut to the back. This also made me feel very old. Hurricane and Al Snow talking in the back. Um, Al Snow brings up the new Spider-Man movie, and then I realized as he was talking that he was talking about the original Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire, and I felt about 145 years old. Um, It didn't help that before that there was one of their uh, promo 7-Eleven slushy cup. Yeah. Um promos with R V D. So that that didn't help. Yeah. That didn't help at all. Yep. But they talk about uh the new Spider Man that's in, in theaters and how Hurricane needs to go see it. They make a bunch of like shitty puns on the fact that the Hurricane kind of treats everything like the sixties uh, Batman thing where all of Batman's tools have bat in front of them. Uh Hurricane kind of mm-hmm. does the same thing with like just random words in his sentence. So Al Snow's doing the same thing back to him for a letter maybe it's from your for a fan yeah like i i for anyone who doesn't know i fucking hate dad jokes um and this was just one long fucking dad joke so uh hated this segment so much but i did get a little they did pop me at the end al mentions head his long lost love and says at the end quote uh, they thought me talking to a head was bad, so they yeah they kind of they popped me on that. Uh, I kind of loved kind of loved that a little bit. After that, we go right into uh, match uh, test versus Mark Henry. Apparently, again to pop you guys into the kind of the storyline that's been going. Apparently, over the last couple of weeks, Test has been challenging Mark Henry to feats of strength, saying, "Oh, you can't bend this bar, you can't flip this car, or whatever," and. Uh, Mark Henry continues to do it, and Test is shown up, so 
test challenges Mark Henry to this match, basically saying, I don't care how strong you are, like, I can beat you in the ring. Test and Mark Henry both have long hair at this point, and I don't fucking like it. It's I, so I weird. Like it. I, this was Mark Henry's... I don't even think they're dreads. Yes, but it's they're, just, they're just long they dreads? dreads. Yeah, they're just long dreads. Oh my god. It was... Yeah, this is when like, he cause had I'm, hair. I'm used had to him... Hair. I'm used to him having the dreads. Like, I'm used to seeing him with, like, the longer... Not longer, but, like, you know, chin or shoulder-length hair. I'm used yeah. to seeing that. But he has, like, full-on, like, down-to-the-middle-of-his-back dreads. And then Test with long hair... Weird. Test with long hair, to me, again, because I grew up with short-haired, spiky-haired Test with the frosted tips. Yeah. Um, I grew up with that... I, mm, it's just weird to see both of them with long hair. It's really weird. I'm not a fan. Not a fan. Yes, didn't I like forgot, it. I forgot about this point in Mark Henry mm-hmm. that he had the really long hair. Like, mm-hmm. I'm used to him having braids. I'm used to him having the shorter dreads. Yep. It's just seeing him with these long dreads yep. made me feel. <laughs> it was not a good feeling. I was no. like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> what is this? Henry proves how actually fucking strong he is. Cause like you always, you see a lot of guys will do the catch, the crossbody catch. And a lot yeah. of times it's a big guy with a small guy. And the big guy will always like take a step back or like, you know, brace himself or whatever. And again, it's usually with a small guy. Test is like six two, six three. 275 pounds. He's a big motherfucker. And he jumps and Mark Henry catches him and does not fucking budge. He just fucking catches him. Maybe a half a step. Maybe. But that's more of not trying to, you know, fall over, drop him. It's not right. He couldn't hold him. No. It was just that that balance step. Yeah. But other than that, he fucking catches him midair just and no movement at all rock steady like i get it this man has fucking actual tree trunks for legs but god damn in the words of ron simmons damn but yeah that that match continues um in the end test ends up winning because fun fact everybody if you're if you've watched wrestling before me, I think I noticed it mm-hmm. this episode. Tyler noticed it later on, but our referee was the one and only Teddy Long. Yes. I was watching this match and I was like, is that Teddy? <laughs> yep. And then we get to the end of the match where he's raising Test's hand after a low blow and then, well, first blinding the ref, which is yeah. a common thing even now, but blinds the ref. Low blow kick to Mark Henry, and then he delivers his big boot. Yep. After winning the match, Teddy raises his hand, and I fully get an actual look at Teddy's face, and I was like, "Holy shit, that is Teddy!" That's, that's Teddy Long. He was a ref. Yeah, and it's it was funny for me. Like I said, like you said, you know, I didn't realize until later uh, in this episode or one of the other episodes that it was him. So like I noticed a lot of really really small stuff, but for some reason just didn't notice or didn't write it down that it was Teddy Long. I guess my brain was just like, oh yeah, Teddy Long. Like 
he was a referee. I knew he was a referee. So it just didn't register, I guess. I don't know. One thing that we did not cover that I did want to talk about from this match. Test hits a flying elbow in the middle of this match. Yeah. And it was good. It was It actually good. really was. Oh, my God. It, uh, it was, speaking of flying elbows, yeah. obviously we've got, we've got Macho Man. Yeah. Probably the best flying elbow ever. Yes. It was just the height and the pinpoint accuracy. I don't yep. know what that man did, but he was locked on when he did it. Every time. And then you've got Shawn Michaels, his yep. great flying elbow, and then... More recently, you've got fuck. I just went completely blank on his name. Uh, oh, come on, come on! I, it's there. I, I I completely went blank on his name. Are you talking on the last couple of years or like current? Like yeah. he's on. Okay, was uh, because there's been a couple of guys who have kind of done the Macho Man thing. Like they've ripped him off. Are you talking about one of those guys or are you? Not really. He's not really okay. a ripoff. He just got the same look and okay. kind of aesthetic as Macho Man. Okay, but um, he's he's not really trying to be Macho Man, which okay. I honestly like a lot. That they're not trying to remake him, and yeah. it just so happens that he looked like him, and he's got that swagger about him. Right. Um, I'm looking at the current WWE roster right now because I cannot remember his name. <laughs> And the crazy thing is, I don't even think he's on the roster right now. Great. Awesome. We got there, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it's going to come to me later. I know it is. <laughs> we'll just be in the middle of another, like, reviewing another match, and he'll just be like, oh, yeah, it's this guy. But, yeah, he's, he's got a great flying elbow, and I think there's, it's just those three. Yeah. Macho Man, Hess did a really good one this yeah. match. Shawn Michaels. And then the guy I can't think of his fucking name. <laughs> um, we'll we'll let you we'll let you think on it a little bit. We cut to the we cut to the back. Um, Christian and Kurt Angle. Now, if you guys remember, this is right after Christian and Edge break up, right? So like they've done the whole mm -hmm. they've done the brother thing. I think they actually at this point are still referred to as brothers because for those of you who grew up watching Edge and Christian, they were fucking brothers. Like they were brothers. Yeah. In like in the storyline, they were they were brothers for the longest time. And then eventually it just kind of like they stopped saying it. And then people were just like, no, they're not brothers. I'm like, no, they because that was the selling point in other than the fact that they were a tag team. But that was the selling point when they did like the original TLC matches with them, the Dudleys and the Hardys was that it was three sets of brothers doing these mm -hmm. like in these matches. So. Um, I think at this point they're still referring to them as brothers or like acting as if they are brothers. Uh, Christian and Kurt Angle are in the back. Christian says something about Edge when they were kids and like all this stuff. They're talking about the hair versus hair match that's coming up. The match that leads to the bald Kurt Angle that we all know and love. Yeah. Spoiler alert for those Which, of you guys that are going to watch the Judgment point, Day show. Angle loses. Sorry. I think at this point, isn't the wouldn't this be the second time that Kurt's been bald? Mm -mm. No, this is the this is the first time. This is this is actually like he started losing his hair, so Vince was basically like, "Yeah, we're gonna 
instead of you just showing up one day and being bald, we're going to actually like have a match and you're going to lose your hair. And then we're going to say that you can't grow your hair back out when in all actuality, you don't want to grow your hair back out because you know you're going bald. So Mm -hmm. then we have a couple of back to back cuts into the back, uh, into, uh, the backstage area. The first one, we have an interview with possibly the least PC tag team maybe of all time Billy and Chuck and I wrote in all caps Billy and Chuck I was so excited because I wanted um this I be- obviously I think this is just the start of Billy and Chuck so I don't think that they actually did the whole like they've done the whole Billy and Chuck are gay thing yet but I am very much looking forward to watching Theo's reaction to Billy and Chuck just being or acting gay. Uh, because I don't think they've gotten to that point no. yet, but the, it's it's implied a few times. Yeah. So like I, that's the thing is like I think it ends with the wedding um, between Billy and Chuck, where they almost get married. And Billy's just like, I can't do this anymore. We're not gay. We're not doing this. <laughs> and just ends it. And then I think I think it's Billy that, that ends it. And then Chuck gets all pissed off and is like, dude, we had him. We were right there. <laughs> and I don't know the point of the whole thing, but I am very excited to see Theo's reaction to this storyline coming to fruition. Um, like I said, one of the least PC. Well, actually, I guess that's not true. There are way less PC storylines that oh are, are coming up sometime in the near not near future but sometime in the in the future storylines yes right wwe superstars as a whole i mean there yeah. has been gay like yeah that was their whole thing that yeah they were gay yeah rico um i can't remember the name of one of them uh, no <laughs> no rico they that's that's what's gonna happen is is here's not soon but Rico's going to do this with Billy and Chuck. Then Billy and Chuck are going to break up. He's going to do his time with Three Minute Warning, which is Umaga and uh, Rosie. Uh, It's Jamal and Rosie. Um, But it's the guy who becomes Umaga down the line. And Rosie, the guy who ends up being the superhero in training under uh, Hurricane, looks like a 400-pound Roman Reigns. Um, Yeah. Because he is. He's, he's, He's... Roman's cousin, brother, something. I don't know. He's in. He's in the family. I think they're cousins. I'm not entirely sure, but like they look very, very similar. But he does his time with them, and then they split up, and he goes out on his own with Jackie Gata as his manager, valet, whatever. And he goes super gay. Like, that is his whole selling point, is that he is super gay, and that's but never says it. the first time that they've done it. They did it then, and then later on, more current, mm-hmm. I want to say probably maybe 2020-2019-ish, mm-hmm. they released a just I am gay superstar mm-hmm. for NXT, mm-hmm. um, and then obviously we have the Velveteen Dream. Um, we ain't touching it with a ten foot pole. 
Oh, I nope. I I enjoy the Velveteen Dream I'm so sure much just do. because he is he's just over the top. It's it's so good. It's that's, so good that it that's because great. it's so bad. It's that's great. But I also remembered who who does the other uh, flying elbow? Yep, Elias. Ah, okay. All right. Yep. That that checks out. Uh, I didn't. I haven't really watched a whole lot of Elias, and I know he just got released, so I probably won't have the opportunity. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I yeah. don't know why they they did that because they did a whole thing where he has a twin brother, yeah. and they rebranded him as yeah. Ezekiel. Yeah. And the whole thing was, oh, I'm not Elias, and they made him cut his beard, and it, it's it's a whole fucking thing. Yeah. But going back, uh, Billy and Chuck can't wait for what becomes of Billy and Chuck. I am I am so stoked. I I love it. I love it so much. It's another one of those. It's so bad. It's good. I love it. Rico deserved so much better than what he got. This dude. I don't know what you know, like if you know anything about Rico Constantino as a person, but let me read you some of this man's accomplishments. He has a black belt in karate. Uh, He is a Mm -hmm. former Las Vegas police officer, and he was also on a little show, you might have heard of it, American Gladiators. He was an American Gladiator. And the fact that they brought him in and they did what they did with him when he was so athletic and he was so good in the ring, it, it kills me. It tears me apart that this happened. Um, Don't forget his black belt and Kempo. Ah, that's what it was. It's Kempo. Not, it's, it, is it Kempo Karate? or I, I don't know. But yes, black belt I, and I Kempo. Don't, I don't remember. But yeah, that's the black belt I was talking he, about. I he mentions know. it in this, uh, in this, uh, this interview. Yeah. Um, black belt and Kimpo and he's gonna this is where they start with the the three of them possibly yeah. being gay um because he very adamantly and on purpose at the end of this interview saying that he was coming out yeah so yeah, yeah. just just dropping the seeds in just just sprinkling them around just you know after that we cut to an unknown figure in the back that all you can see is a massive arm in a sleeveless what looks like tuxedo holding a box and then Devon uh comes in and says just you know comes in and says something real quick we all know who it is but we're not going to spoil it because it's literally the next segment when they come out yeah they go to commercial come back and Devon comes out starts to cut one of his sermon promos and then points at this bald-headed just mountain of a man who we see is Dave Batista Drax the Destroyer or, when he first got started fresh out of or OVW or at this instance the Deacon Batista yep basically Devon says hey you guys you know you need to you need to donate to my you know shiesty church fund whatever and Batista's gonna come around and and get the get the money from you and he's gonna be in charge of watching this church fund and Hunter comes out quickly we're gonna touch on it because Theo's not here and I'm not gonna drive the 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 point home but Hunter has a bandage on his head coming out proving hey I was in a fight earlier 
I was bleeding. I had, you know, some maybe some stitches or, or some staples or some super glue in my head that's holding it in. And now I got this bandage on my head. It, they they didn't even clean him up at nope. all. Like you can still see the dried still blood stains. in his hair yep. right on his eye line. Yep. So, yeah, that, that was a quick here. Slap this bandaid on it. So yep. It yep. Let's go. Kind of a little bit, you know, go back and forth. It's an okay match, you know, nothing too impressive. Uh, Batista gets involved from the outside. Devon gets some height and some distance. He hits a flying clothesline and then a flying headbutt on two different occasions in this match. And he gets some height and some distance. Like, he is... I actually wanted to, to mention, I think it was closer towards the end of the match. Yeah. His, what was it, the second flying headbutt that yeah. he was trying to do, and Hunter rolled out of the way. He moved, but not enough, so yeah. he lands on his arm. Yeah. And at that point, I thought he broke his arm. Because <laughs> you can very, very, you, you can see that he landed on his arm, yeah. and it, that fucking hurt. Yep. He's a lot more athletic than I remember him being. Like, don't get me wrong, I remember the flying headbutt, uh, the waza from him and, and, and mm. Bubba when they would do that, but, like, I never, I guess I never paid attention to it, or, like, he just didn't get as much height or distance that time, like, when he would do that, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure, but, yeah, it got some distance and some height. Because shortly after that, I don't want to call it a botch, but after that, say, little pickup there, you can see that Hunter's hurt. Right. Um, He immediately gets up, and you know knocks down well and but, hunter yeah so hunter does have an ex- like he has a history of shit like that happening to him i mean he's he's torn his quad at least once if not twice at this point and it was in the middle of a match it wasn't you know he's out and about it wasn't a miscalculation from you know somebody hit a move wrong or whatever that was 100% it was just like one of them was him trying to do a pedigree on the table, I think, and just mm-hmm. his knee hit wrong, and boom, and just ripped. And then another one was in a in a match against Benoit and Jericho with him, him and Austin against uh, Benoit and Jericho. He comes in from behind and hits Jericho from behind, and just gone, just tears his quad middle of the match like doing something he's done a million times um so it wouldn't have it wouldn't have surprised me like it's happened before especially with him right so yeah this match ends with an interference from jericho again yep um dudley pins him and then like immediately after that you see hunter being taken care of medical team so i was like shit can he break his arm can we talk about the fact that devon dudley technically has a singles victory over triple h are we just not going to talk about that we just we don't talk. We, we don't, don't talk, talk about that. We just we don't bring it's it up. An asterisk about it. <laughs> I don't give a shit it, so about it. I'd listen to me. I don't give a shit about the asterisk. What I am saying is that Devon fucking Dudley has a singles victory, singles pinfall victory over a fourteen, thirteen or fourteen time world's champion. What the fuck? is going on right now. We just don't talk about it. Okay. All right. We just won't talk about it. We'll just segue to the next. Mind you, it's one of one of uh, 
one of his worst adaptations. So yeah, we really don't talk. And about that's it. the that's the thing. It's it's fucking Reverend Devon beats like peak Hunter, like the game, the start of like his super super stardom. Like before he takes off and he has like the whole King of Kings thing and all of that. Like before that, he was the game and he was like the 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 top guy, one of the top guys, and fucking Reverend Devon has a pinfall victory in a singles match against Triple H. What the actual fuck? It's fine. We're gonna move on to the next. We're gonna move on to the next segment. For <sighs> I have an aneurysm. Um, Angle comes out, cuts a promo on the hair versus hair match between him and Edge. Shows pictures of Edge without hair. It pops up with a picture of Angle without hair when Angle's got his back turned. So, ha ha ha, funny. You know, everybody laughs at Angle. He turns around and sees it. And then it pops up on the end with the graphic that says, you suck. Um, so, everybody gets a good laugh. Angle calls out Edge. Hogan comes out for some reason. Doesn't ever really. Did, did... This was, I know we talked about it. We talked about it Monday, but yeah. him coming out to that music is just weird. Yeah. His wish.com voodoo child. That was so weird. Uh, but here's one thing that I noticed, and I think this is the first time that I wrote it down. See if you notice this. I guess I'm, you can't now, because I think I'm not sure if he loses the title of Judgment Day or not. I don't remember. But... If he doesn't, if he continues to be the champion and doesn't lose the title, pay attention to how fucking little Hogan wears the title. He never has yeah, the fucking title with that. him. Never. He never carries I the title with that. him. He's like, in the 80s, he always had the fucking title on him. He always had the title with him, on him, around his waist, whatever. He never has the title on. He, it's like he doesn't yeah, even want to be the like, champion. When he came out, when he came out and they were like, yeah, the current champion, I was like, where's the belt? Where's, where's the title? Where, where's the title? <laughs> nope. No and title. He come, he, when he's actually in his match later, than, yes. later that night. Which he does. We'll get to that. He yes. has it. Yes. And I'm just like, why didn't you wear it earlier? He, so it's just one of, one of those things. You think about it. He didn't have it in the thing with Taker on Monday. True. At all. And then... When, you know, we'll, we'll review it next week, but with next week doesn't have it on then either. He just never carries the title around. I think uh, in his little backstage, which we'll get to that too, his little backstage thing with Edge, he's not wearing the title. Like he just, he just doesn't nope. have it. He never has it on. Why? You're the champion. Like I get it. You're Hulk Hogan and you can do whatever no you want, but like carry the damn title. Hogan brings up. One thing I noticed in the segment. Mm -hmm. um, when he's when he's talking with Angle, is how large Hogan's chest and mm -hmm. upper rib cage is. Oh my god! It's just like a fucking Massive. bulge, and then a drop off to yep. where his stomach is. I'm like, what the fuck is going on there? <laughs> you are on. It's like something, he's always sir. got his chest out, but he's fully relaxed. And I'm yeah. like, what the fuck? Yeah. It doesn't, it makes no sense to me. Hogan starts bringing up bald champions for some reason. Starts talking, well, I mean, it, it makes sense why he's doing it, but like, he brings up bald champions. Um, this is the first time I've ever he heard him admit that he's bald. 
which kind of made yeah. me laugh. Like that kind of that that made my night. Angle goes on the whole like I'm an Olympian tangent, like I'm I'm the real American hero or whatever, you know. Which like when he's a baby face and when he's a heel, it's it's the same character. It's just whether or not people like him. He does the same shit. Pretty much. Like when he's a good guy, he talks about like I'm an American hero. I I, you know, here's my determination, like, here's why I did what I did, here's what I did, and, like, I'm an Olympian, and I'm better than everybody here, and whatnot, and it just, if they don't like him, same shit, same thing, exact, like, exact, just, control-C, control-V, like, copy-paste. There is no difference. No. It's just whether or not the crowd likes him. Yeah. Hogan kicks Angle out of the ring, and then... Has a stare down. They have a stare down, and then Angle gets to the top of the uh, top of the rampway, and Edge spears Angle. They think they cut the commercial. Come back. Angle goes to Vince, and Vince announces that Hogan and Edge will face uh, Angle and Jericho later on tonight in a tag match. Something that I thought about is like they're doing a lot of announcing matches, same like night of, and it like kind of yeah. made me think like. Just from a standpoint of, like, trying to take myself out, like, put myself in Theo's shoes, right? Like, what did you Mm -hmm. have planned if that didn't happen? Like, this is a two-hour show. What did you plan on putting in the main event if it wasn't that match? Like, what, did you bump something or did you just have an empty card? Like, there was was nothing, you were just waiting for some shit to happen? Which we all know. Because, that's that's yeah. That that was a really thrown together match. Um, yeah. I honestly, watching it back, I was expecting a handicap match. That's what I was expecting. And then he's like, "No, it's not handicap. It's a tag team with you and Jericho, and then Edge and Hulk Hogan." And I was like, "Okay, that was thrown together." Because Jericho had nothing to do with this at all. Welcome back. We took a little bit of a break. Uh, Theo decided he wanted to join us this week, so uh, he's going to finish out the SmackDown wrap-up with us, and uh, then we will say goodbye for the last time this episode, and hopefully next week it won't be so pieced and parted together. So, Tehran and I uh, just finished up with the announcement of the thrown-together main event of Hulk Hogan and Edge versus Kurt Angle and Chris Jericho. So we go to commercial, we come back, and we have Billy and Chuck and Rico versus Al Snow, Maven, and Rikishi in a six-man tag match. So Theo, first impressions of everybody in this match. All the people who are, uh, we talked about Billy and Chuck a little bit before you came on. So we kind of want to get your, your diagnosis of what's going on. Give, give us your opinion of what's going on. It was an interesting cast of characters. I will say that, uh, a lot of variety as far as like what kind of dials they were dialing up to 11 with each individual, uh, characteristics for these, uh, it's, it's almost unfair to really say wrestlers. Well, they're obviously wrestlers, but it's almost unfair to say people 
in the sense of that is them genuinely. They it is an act. Hey, They're we playing can't, characters. We can't say that anymore. We can't say that anymore. They oh. are in fact people. Oh yeah, racism is bad. They're people now. Thank you for reminding me. I I, I don't know what I would have done. So 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 we don't get canceled, and so that Tehran has a little bit of context here. There is a uh, there's a video going around of uh, a private corporal specialist, something. It's a low ranking guy in uh, in the army who in the army corporal punishment is a thing. So if you fuck up, I can look at you and go, okay, get on your face. And then I could just, they call it smoking. They, they can, I can make you do pushups until I feel like you've learned your lesson. And there is a video. It is a satirical video. So it is not, it is not an actual video of like somebody who did this, but they made a satirical video of a, an NCO or a, a, a guy like at minor or Theo's rank, who's a little bit higher ranking talking to this junior guy and this junior guy's doing pushups. And it just starts with this kid doing pushups and he goes, okay, so what did you learn? He goes, racism is bad. And he goes, and what else? And the guy goes, they're people now. So when we make that joke, <laughs> don't cancel us. We're just, we're just quoting satire, okay? But uh, but it's almost un, but it's almost inaccurate to really call them like individuals in the sense where that is their actual person. It's it's all a character. It's just what part of either themselves or whatever character they write to dial up to eleven. These performers put on these characters. And have them mesh together in such an interesting way, especially for this match. Because, like, obviously they do their whole grandstand at the beginning of the match. And they all do their, you know, spectacle entry. But it was just really interesting to see that in the sense of, like, I, I wouldn't have thought about that. But then again, I'm not, in this, I'm, not, I'm not in the know. I'm not a member of this cult just yet. We're not, we're not bringing the cult talk back. And, and fuck you again, Tyler, because I'm, I'm starting to form opinions fuck you goat man this is goat man entrapment and you know it <laughs> uh let's toss this one over to tehran let's uh let's get some play-by-play let's see what do you think of the match what do you think of uh what, what what kind of opinions did you have about this one this one was just a a match <laughs> It just existed. Um, it, just, it just happened. That, that it was a thing that happened. Um, Sounds like I'm gonna be honest. Part. I just took a piss during this entire <laughs> match. Like I didn't care. I uh, the the most amusing thing was uh, the fact that they come out to dude love. So that was a thing. I didn't even notice that. I didn't catch yeah. that. That's that's so yeah, great. They're, Six dudes. Their entrance Six music. Big is sweaty buff men. <laughs> and it, it, the whole thing about them is it's insinuating that they're gay. So the fact that they come out to a theme song that's called Dude Love is hilarious. <laughs> it's, they, they, they they did that on purpose. It's, I'm, I'm oh, more than oh, convinced. It's only it's hold on. It's only hinted at right now. It's not actually said. We haven't gotten. Oh yeah, because this was two thousand. This was still two thousand two. Gay people didn't exist back then, did they? Right, exactly. And if they did, they, <laughs> they knew better than to just like come out and be 
like to exist themselves how how dare they be themselves obviously no. we're joking but but wait, yeah like wait we're joking <laughs> i didn't get the memo obviously <laughs> i'm joking <laughs> Uh, no, we do. We 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 support all of the Alphabet Mafia. My wife is a member. Theo is a member. Um, Hello. My wife's a member. There we go. There you go. So you're a part of the Alphabet so I, Mafia. I'm the. I am. I'm the only true member of the Alphabet Mafia. I mean, again, yeah, on this podcast, yes. Yeah, on this podcast, not not in. In reality, I in reality, I, I am the Alphabet I, I, Mafia. I could be. I could be. I could be the the only member of the Alphabet Mafia. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna tell your mother you said that. I'm gonna tell your mother you said that. Well, I haven't met them all. It's oh, it's yeah. unsafe to say. Um, but you have in fact you know, met other members, honesty. right? So you know it's not just you. Eh, there were a couple questions questioning the ones there. Anyway. Back yeah, to the anymore. wrestling part of this podcast. Um, <laughs> Are you sure this last match was pretty homoerotic? I don't. I don't think we had any wrestling to begin with. Uh, this was all. So there was a lot of hold fucking on. with clothes on. Hold on. I did make a few notes about this match. I did. I didn't give it a. Excuse the pun. I didn't give it a blow by blow, but we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll go into this a little bit. Um, Something that I noticed We need is... an innuendo counter now. Facts. Um, I did notice, or something that I did uh, I did bring up and I did make a note of, Maven is still super young in this match, but he's still really, really good. Like, his, his basics are really good. He may not be, you know, the most technically sound guy uh, in the ring by far. I mean, the, he's in there with a bunch of guys who've been in there way longer than he has, but he's still fresh this is the year that he i don't know if he debuted at the royal rumble but this is the year i believe that he eliminated the undertaker from the royal rumble um did the surprise like that drop was not kick. supposed to happen no no it wasn't an accident no he came in and he drop kicked the undertaker while the undertaker was turned around and that was the whole like that was his i think that was like his big debut was he came in and they were like oh shit Maven eliminated the Undertaker from the Royal Rumble, and then the Undertaker like threatened to kill him or something. I don't know. <laughs> the threatened to eat his firstborn child and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's a reasonable threat, I'd I'd say. Right. I've, I've made that threat to you a couple times, haven't I? A couple times. You know, that's that's what you do yeah. when you're upset with somebody. Yeah. Um, you say, ah, you 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 stepped on my shoe. I'm gonna eat your baby. Yep. Um. Another thing that I put down, uh, Al Snow is very underrated. Like, I, I don't know if this is a widely, like, um, I don't know if it's a widely held belief, but, like, Al Snow is super underrated. His skills in the ring, to me, I'm not going to say they're unmatched, because obviously there are guys who are better, and if he was that good in the ring, he would definitely, like, he would have gotten somewhere. But he's very underrated. His Like, his technical skills... And we've talked about everybody in the ring is is super technical, and there's a lot of skill up and down the card. But Al Snow is just one of those guys that I see that I I would consider like he's a sleeper. Like a lot of guys, a lot of people I've talked to wouldn't put Al Snow in uh you know 
a list of like the best guys or even the most underrated guys, but I definitely think he 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 belongs in that conversation. Like, like that's my. Would, would you say that because? Would Would you say that because he's more uh, like the his character? Like the way he's designed his character is just not something, not the the grandest of spectacles, or some, or is it more along the lines of like, for those who look for the the big flashy matches, he doesn't do those big flashy matches, but he is still like like you said, technically sound. Like I've noticed that as well, but he's not necessarily, you know, dropping you know, uh, the spinny, flippy, kicky shit all all the time. Right. So my, I guess I would say. It's so a lot of these guys were not like they're not in charge of their character. They are given um, they are given a storyline or they are given uh, a character to portray. And it's how they portray that guy that kind of gets them over. But there are some things that are just doomed to not work. And then there are some guys that just kind of get forgotten about. So would Hurricane be... Would Hurricane, like, he, he seems to be, like, the, the gold dust equivalent as far as, like, his role in uh, SmackDown as opposed to gold dust uh, being in Raw. So... Is that something along the lines of what you were mentioning? So kind of, right? Like, uh, he does... Like, I, I, ha- I hate to keep uh, bringing up my boy here, but gold dust is best boy. <laughs> um... I don't know. Like it's, and that's a, that's an, that's an interesting question. And it's like an interesting, I don't know. Like I, I'll, I can give Tehran a little bit of uh, a little bit of time to kind of speak on it from his perspective. But from what I understand, like uh, hurricane did the best with what he had. Like he, they gave him a certain, like they gave him this character and said, Hey, go do this. And he did the best he could with it. They just weren't going to put him in a position to be a top guy because he was like 185, 190 pounds. He's like he's super small, right? Like he's under 200 pounds. They're probably they're never going to put the world title on this guy, especially because he wears a fucking green mask and pretends he can fly. Um, all the kids back then, all the all the all the kids back then fucking loved the Hurricane man and like. When he took off the mask and decided he was just going to be Gregory Helms, everybody, like all the kids hated him and they did exactly, it did exactly what they needed it to do, but he was not put in a, like he was never going to be put in a position to be a world champion. He was never going to be put in a position to be a top guy. Whereas with Al Snow, it was just, he kind of just got forgotten because he didn't really... I don't know, like, he had a decent character, and he did what he could with it, but, like, he kind of just got forgotten about, and, like, they never revamped anything, so he just kind of stayed good, like, he stayed technically sound, but, like, he never had any, like, high-profile matches, and he just kind of stayed at the, like, lower mid-card spot his entire career maybe won a title here and there and then just retired. But now he's a coach. Like now he's a a wrestling coach. He's a, he's a trainer. He's an agent for them. So I I don't know, Teron, what do do you, what do you think about this? I feel like he was one of those guys that they made and like I said, they didn't revamp. So he just stayed a good mid Carter. 
and he had the in-between matches. It was the openings, and then you had your like segments, and then you had like maybe one or two matches at the be- uh, in the middle of the card, and then you had your main event at the end. And he just kind of got stagnant in the mid-card area. And as far as Hurricane, they made a character for kids to love, and he did what he could with it. And when he decided to not be the Hurricane anymore, it did exactly what it was supposed to, and the kids hated it. They wanted their wrestling superhero. So it was it was just one of those things where they made a character. I feel like they didn't think it, it would have gotten over as much as it did with it being a superhero wrestler. Um but as far as the hurricane, I really feel like he was made to sell merch to kids. He was made to sell action figures, T-shirts, um, just the just merch. That's all he was made for was to sell merch, and he did what he was supposed to. And he wanted to be more than that, so he decided to drop it. And the the end result was everyone hating it. It sucks, but that's a lot of guys they get. And and during this time, Vince's word was law. Um, you can look up like podcasts and interviews from like Stone Cold to Undertaker and just a bunch of different people that got names and like personas that they were pitched and they were terrible. Um. Stone Cold, he went from, wasn't it supposed to be like a replacement for Mr. Perfect? And that was god-awful. Yeah. The, the ringmaster. Yeah, oh, the whole ringmaster gimmick. That was absolutely god-awful. Um, Terrible. And then The Undertaker and Kane, they both got like some bizarre off-the-wall ass like personas and pitches, and they like turned them down. But... So- they wanted sometimes, Kane to wear a cape. They wanted Kane to yeah. be a wrestling superhero in like the they mid did. to late nineties. That's what they wanted him to do. And I, there are actually a, a few, not a ton. There are a few photos out there you can find of Kane actually wearing that cape at like house shows and stuff. So they wanted that to be the thing. And then he finally just like pitched it to Vince and was like, this ain't working. This isn't what it is. And thank fuck that Vince was like, all right, don't do it then. Uh, Vince, Vince had very few people that he would listen to because it, it was pretty much Vince pitched you an idea and you did it or you never wrestled or you were in throwaway put over matches. Like, the the smaller guys that they put to debut wrestlers or just to make a wrestler look good. Like those throwaway matches that they put. I think Brock had some of them with some like no-name wrestlers that it was just squash matches. Um, they did it a lot for Ryback, who is a more recent wrestler. He's no longer a wrestler, but... And, uh, for a majority of the time, all of Ryback's matches were just squash matches. Yeah, so <clears throat> back to the um, the six-man tag team. What else yep. 
What do you have to say about that match? Like, um, as far as, like, the technicality. You, you said that the, a lot of the technical skill was very great, but as far as, yeah. like, it I mean, being flashy and showy, what what would you have to say about that? So, that that's the thing. Like, so for me, I'm looking for different things out of a match than, like, a lot of... A lot of people are looking for the big, high, flashy, spinny, kicky, flippy shit. And that's not me. I'm a... I am 100% a... I'm a guy who's looking for skill, technical ability. How well can you actually perform the moves that you are trying to execute, right? Like, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm concerned about. I want to make sure that this looks as close to an actual physical contest as possible. I want it to look like you two are struggling, not working together. I don't want it to be a gymnastics routine, right? So for me, this was a pretty technical, it was, it was a decent match. It's kind of like Tehran said, you know, it's, it's a mid card match. Um, and that's, that's something that like we'll get into as time goes on. But just because, just because a match is, you know, the first car or the first match on the card doesn't make it a throwaway match. Doesn't mean it's not important. And just because something is the last match on the, on the card doesn't make it the most important match of the night. You know, it, it should that's how it should go, but that's not necessarily how it always goes. But this, it, it was, it was a very, very mid-card level match with a lot of mid-card guys. I thought it was okay, you know, it, nothing flashy, nothing exceptional. It just kind of was, it existed. Big commotion at the end, Rico hits Al uh, with a spinning kick. It actually looked really, really good. Billy comes in and hits the Famouser. Billy, Chuck, and uh, Rico win the match. Not anything surprising for me. Like I said, nothing major. Then we cut to the back. We have a young Randy Orton. So, oh my god. I think at this point he was like 22, 23. Like, he's... This guy is your age, Theo. Like, this guy is is your age or younger. And he is already... On like in part of the the biggest professional wrestling company in the world, and a lot of people say that that he was so far in because he's one of those wrestling family guys. His granddad was a wrestler, and a lot of people like to say that people that have like family members that were wrestlers and now they're wrestlers that it's kind of handed to them because they're quote-unquote been a part of the business their entire life but like hear me out okay so that it's that yes that's a thing but like my dad was a huge professional wrestling fan in the era where bob orton was popular bob orton was not that popular where like the next generation people were like oh bob orton's kid wrestles dude i gotta go see him right like that's the thing is he wasn't to at least from my perception, he wasn't one of those guys that, like, you heard, oh, this is so-and-so's kid, and you were like, oh, shit, we gotta, that kid's gonna be something. Like, when uh, a Jimmy Snuka's kid, or kids, started wrestling, that was a big deal, because people were like, oh, shit, Jimmy Snuka's kids, like, let's go. Surprisingly, I think both of Roddy Piper's kids wrestle, Neither one of them has made it to the WWE yet, but those would be one of the people that, like, if his kids came in, you would be, 
everybody would be on notice. Like, everybody just would be paying attention. Speaking of wrestling kids. Yes. Um, he who shall not be named. Um, the yeah. His oldest. Crispin, Crispin Wall's son yeah. is, he's been seen, like, at the Performance Center wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's speculated whether or not he's actually going to be a WWE star. And obviously, with the whole controversy around the Benoit name, um, he if he does become a wrestler, he's not going to be able to use that name. Yeah. Um, for just the simple fact of the the reputation behind it. It would be great if we could get a oh, new absolutely. Benoit. That would be great, but yeah. with how things are, more than likely not. I don't, I don't see it happening. And we'll do. Um, I've talked to Theo about this, doing like an entire episode of just like disclaimers of like, all right, we know this is coming up. We know this is going to be a thing. We know that we're going to have to talk about this later on down the line. But like, this is one of those that like. I can tell you right now, if anybody listens to this, they're not going to, a lot of people are not going to agree with me. I am a big, uh, I am a big advocate for, um, separating the art from the artist and realizing that like his matches and his storylines were amazing and realizing that they were good and recognizing that and, and admitting that they were good doesn't mean that I agree with who he was as a person. Or what he did. Right. It means that I can recognize what good technical professional wrestling was. And I've told Theo this, like this before. Like, if you sit me in a room, right, and you show me a painting, and I tell you that that painting is amazing, and then you tell me this painting was painted by Adolf Hitler, I'm not going to be like, oh, well, it's a terrible painting just right. because it was painted by Hitler. Okay, it's a good painting. Doesn't mean I agree with what the fuck he did. I can like recognize I can like the art and not the person. Yes, exactly. I can separate those two, but that's another tangent to go on and on another day. Um, like I said, Orton is not one of those guys that like I should have had like a huge or would have had a huge hype around him um, coming in. So anybody who says that he, you know, only got where he is because his dad or his his family lineage, whatever, he's not a fucking Anawaii. He's not coming in, you know, as a Samoan and just being like, I'm Samoan. And they're like, oh, yeah. here's all of the everything. Here's all the titles. Be our top guy all the time. Like, we're going to put you in the main event two weeks after you debut. Like, that's not he's not doing that. He had to actually earn his spot. Right. Like, yes, he got picked. But it's because he had skill. Like, let's be very honest about that. Yeah. It's just that that was the the premise behind the match that he's in now. Right. Is Storm felt like he was handed everything. So that was that was the premise behind this this right. match. Even though prior to that, the two matches he had with Holly, he won. And yeah. it was legitimate wins. So yeah. it, it was just that basis of you you're you've been in the business quote-unquote in the business your entire life so you getting a wwe contract and being put in matches that aren't again throwaway matches is because you have wrestling history or a wrestling family even though has never been the type of guy that was honestly handed anything like he got a contract and 
worked his ass off to mm-hmm. every opportunity that he got. And he yeah. fucking proved that he belonged there. He absolutely did. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, after the interview. There's a there's a raw recap. We already recapped raw. Um, Orton yeah, comes out it was and just Hogan and yeah <laughs> and Undertaker and their right. shenanigans. Their Hogan's inability to ride a fucking motorcycle, um, which surprisingly which in the next episode I will address that because inconsistency <laughs> but we, we will get there we'll but his get complete there. ability to drive a, a 18-wheeler tractor trailer yes right right can't you know, can't I ride can't a motorcycle two wheel i can't drive a two wheel you know 500 pound vehicle but damn it i can drive a two and a half ton 18 wheeled truck <laughs> a fucking truck hey you know that that's it happens to the best of us, okay? We have performance anxiety sometimes. Um, this episode sponsored by Blue Chew. Um, <laughs> Orton and Storm. Orton and Storm come out, and it, there's an announcement that there's a special guest referee, and turns out, look at that! Surprise, surprise! It's Hardcore Holly. Um, he comes out in a referee shirt. Match really, honestly, the match wasn't that bad, right? Like it was, it was okay. Couple of things I wanted to touch it did on. What on it this. was supposed to, right? Couple of things I wanted to to talk about. You know, there, there's the, it, you know, they go back and forth. Whatever people are, you know, is Hardcore Holly going to be a fair ref? Which is always the point of a special referee match. It is are they going to do it? Are they going to? screw somebody over or are they going to call it down the middle uh jokes on you they always end up screwing somebody over <laughs> that's the whole point right but we start to see the fast and slow counts fast counts for uh lance storm slow counts for randy orton um one thing that i had to stop and rewatch when i watched it by myself and then I had to stop and rewatch it and show Theo again because he had missed it. And I wanted to make sure that he saw what I was talking about. So when he was stepping on the rope. Yes. Yeah, so they go up into the corner for what looks like it's going to be like a superplex or something like that. And Orton loses his footing. Yeah. I was got to Holy shit. And just like. Puts his arm out and like mushes Lance Storm's face to like, not, not intentionally. He tries to grab to like hold on, but falls down and accidentally ends up hitting, like mushing Lance Storm's face. Storm, perfect professional that he is, just takes a fucking flat back bump off the second rope and is like, whoop, nope, mm mm. Um, and then Orton almost falls, like almost falls off the top rope to fucking ringside. And miraculously gets back up, unharmed, perfectly fine. He just, it, it, it was, if his leg would have got caught, that would have ended extremely badly. It, it was the fact that. Oh, so bad. Yeah, he, he didn't hook his leg. That would have been a serious like injury. Or some people do, some people don't when they're, you know, trying to block a superplex or something like that. They usually hook their, their ankles under the rope. Um, Orton didn't do that, and I really feel like that's what saved him in that moment, because all he did was pretty much tumble over, 
he grabbed the top rope and kept himself from, you know, completely falling out. And then he just quickly gets back up for his spectacular flying crossbody. Oh, my God. It's so beautiful. His crossbody and his flying dropkick is fucking amazing. It's always been gorgeous to watch. And it it's it hurts me that it's not in his move set anymore. Like he'll pull it out every once in a while, at least the drop kick he will, but it's been a very long time since I've seen him do a flying crossbody. Oh, absolutely. He almost never hits the, the flying cross the crossbody anymore. The, the like the drop kick, I don't think he does it anymore because like he used to get like he would get level with people's fucking head and then just fall onto his chest and like that's athletic but at a certain point you gotta be like all right i got mm-hmm. yeah i mean if he was 20 if he was like 23 he's in 2002 yeah he's he's pushing 50 now so like yeah yeah not that, what that, you want to be doing he, he's not as he's not as spry as he once was he no, he ain't he's, springy he's no more very athletic yeah. In the ring. Oh, yeah, no, I, he, I'm more than certain that he's still a fucking menace in there, but when it comes to the spinny, flippy, kicky shit, his knees can't handle no. it very well. I mean, hell, I'm only 24, and I'm my knees are fucking going. My knees hurt from watching what he does, <laughs> like... Honestly. Right. <laughs> oh, um, uh, but, yeah, he hits beautiful, the beautiful crossbody. Um, they go back and forth a little bit more. Lance surprisingly that was this was this was the time before orton i want to say before orton had a finisher the crop flying crossbody yeah. was no this this was i mean yes and no like the this was only like his third or fourth match so like he didn't he hadn't True. established one yet so he was just kind of using whatever um he used uh shortly here after he should introduce, I think it's called the Overdrive. It's what um, mm-hmm. MVP used to use as his finisher. And he uses that for a little while. And then mm-hmm. I think it's after he hurts his shoulder and comes back as part of Evolution. I think he starts using the RKO. Mm. And this was back before he had a gimmick. So yeah. there was no... Orton stance it was just him in the ring yeah I mean it's like it's what we're gonna cover here you know probably in a couple months when we get to you know when John Cena debuts yeah that should be interesting because like I've always heard like John Cena you know the can't see me shit you know you can't see him he doesn't exist no he doesn't um but I've always uh, been interested to see like like I've seen him in some like, I I I saw him in uh, the Fred movie, mm-hmm. and I was wondering how the fuck is uh, does professional wrestling get to this? Like, yes, I know it's the Fred movie. If anyone remembers Fred, we don't talk about it. We don't talk about Bruno, but you know here we are. But it it, it is interesting to see. Just what kind of doors it can open, but I, I would like I would be very curious to see the beginnings of the John Cena era. It is it is intriguing. It's it's really intriguing. Um, he doesn't <laughs> the shifts that he takes in his career 
are phenomenal. So here's the thing. <laughs> like, you see John Cena, and and I, I, you know, I heard you talking about, like, him in the Fred movie. And that's pretty much, like, what he still is now. Mm. There are, like, two... The, to... the, the, je- the, the baggy jean shorts, the trucker hat. Oh, the, yeah, like, he's... He went through like two to three iterations of different people, like different characters before that. He debuted and he is just like him and Orton almost identical. Like when they debuted, they're like white meat baby face characters who like have no personality whatsoever. I beat people. That, and that's the, yeah, that's it. Like then he gets his kind of like break as like the white rapper um then he kind of makes that his own and does he goes through the doctor of thugonomics era and then that becomes like the hard like version of what we have today he was just like more intense and like more he was just a harder guy, I would say, at that point. And then he just, like, softened over time and became less and less intense and became more almost cartoony, more more kid-friendly, yeah. basically. Um, Pretty much. But we'll, like, we'll, we'll watch that progression we'll as it there. goes. We'll get there. But, yeah, I, I mean, Orton has no substance at this point. He has no character. He just kind of is. He doesn't have a finisher. He doesn't really have a move set at this point. He just kind of, he goes out there and he has matches and he's still kind of learning on the job. Um, yeah, it's just but, a bunch of pretty much just technical wrestling at this point. Yeah. Just to pretty much establish him as a wrestler. There wasn't any anything flashy or nothing more flashy uh, besides maybe the flying uh, clothesline or not clothesline in the uh, crossbody. That's about it. His athleticism is pretty much. Yep. So his his athleticism really is his selling point at this point. He doesn't have a personality. He is athletic. He will get there after he hits the crossbody. After he you know hits the drop kick, shows off his athleticism. He takes his first loss because Lance Storm puts him in. What I can was it was that a half Boston, Boston crab? Yeah, so I kind of. Um, it was I, I kind of similar to what or, or uh, Orton, kind of similar to what Regal had uh, Spike in on Raw. Yeah, what the, when he was on his stomach and lifting his legs up like that? Yeah, yeah. Kind of. So it, yeah, that's that's called a Boston crab or guess kind of it's it's really weird because when you see boston crab yep that that's basically what it is um but uh as he's in this this move uh holly uses his bottom he uses his foot to push the bottom rope out of the way so that orton can't grab the rope causing a rope break uh so orton is forced quote unquote forced to tap out and then Lance Storm and Hardcore Holly begin to beat the shit out of Randy Orton. Um, And then one of the greatest characters in the history of professional wrestling (laughs) ever, and I will fight you on this, comes down to save him. And who is that beautiful, beautiful porn star 
to run. I don't. <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> uh, Say it. Uh, oh. <laughs> what is his What is his last I name? Rhyme with. Wanna. Why do you hate me so? I don't. I don't. I love you so much. Say it. It was Fabrowski. I don't. Yep. Yep. One of the many skis that we get in wrestling. Uh, the big Valboski, Val Venus, comes down. Uh, and yes. Uh, my terminology was correct. He is a porn star. That was his uh, gimmick, is that he came to professional wrestling as a porn star. Yeah. Did he come to professional wrestling, or did he come for professional wrestling? Both. Yes. Both. Do you want to know what his... Do you want to know... Do you want to know my favorite, favorite thing? Well, actually, there's two things. One, uh... Do you want to know what my second favorite thing about Val Venus is? Fire away. In the mid-90s, Val Venus was part of a storyline where they didn't say that he owed money to the Yakuza. They said he owed money to a group of Japanese quote-unquote gangsters, but they couldn't say it was the Yakuza. So they implied that this man owed money to the Yakuza. Do you know how they took what they owed from him because he could not pay them? They forced him to be a porn actor? Nope. They cut off his left testicle. You are so close. It is ridiculous. <laughs> are you fucking serious? They, 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 they cut his cock off? On live television, they implied that these men completely castrated this man with a katana i was bullshitting oh, holy <laughs> fuck <laughs> the fact that i'm bullshitting and somehow the statistical <laughs> you're taking statistics i want you to do the math what are the fucking odds for me to pull that out of my ass i don't know i haven't gotten to that section right <laughs> instead of his left it was just both i i was 50 percent correct <laughs> How the hell? It was the whole How thing. the fuck? Me, choppy choppy, your pee-pee. You not choppy choppy, <laughs> my pee-pee. The Yakuza choppy choppy, his pee-pee. No, 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 no. That's what they told him. They came to the ring and on the microphone in front of an entire stadium of people, they yelled in the microphone at this man, me, choppy choppy, your pee-pee. I want you to notice how close I'm getting the microphone right now. I want you to know. I want you to see this. I want you to see this, and I want you to hear it as well. What the fuck? I know this was the 90s. I know this was the 90s. The 90s was a yeah. godless era. What the fuck? What the actual fuck? I'm bringing out the why counter again. <laughs> why? Fucking why? That is my only question. Why? What? I don't, I don't know. I um, don't believe you. But this is what did I this tell is you? too stupid what? to make up. So I have what to believe. I... You. Oh no, I can show you. I can find it and I'll show you. It's kind of like the time that Mae Young gave birth to a hand. What? <laughs> Moving on. 
moving on. Um, I told you that is my second, second favorite thing about Val Venus. Do you want to know what my number one favorite thing about Val Venus is? I don't know, man. Do you want to know what Val Venus's finishing move is called? The finisher? I don't know. The you close the finisher. The finisher. You're, <laughs> You're saying I'm close again after bullshitting yet a second time. Not one. Yes. But twice bullshitting, and I'm correct. What? What? Explain. Explain. Val Venus's finisher, which is a top rope splash. Which is basically, his opponent is laying on the ground, face up. Val Venus jumps from the top rope, and basically like Eddie Guerrero's frog splash. Or Rob Van Dam's frog splash. Or Rob Van Dam's frog splash. Basically, it's that. But Val Venus calls it the money shot. What? Yes, sir. I want you to notice, again, yet how close the microphone is. What? Val Venus's finisher is called the money shot. This is too stupid to make up. And with the information that you know now, do with that information what you will. But after our porn star rescue, uh, <laughs> moving on, <laughs> segues. We get into the uh, segues the are a thing. Backstage segment with Edge and Hulk Hogan where Edge walks into the dressing room, sees a bunch of Hogan's uh, attire out, and then does his own Hulkster impression in the mirror. And then we get Hulk Hogan coming up behind him and not wearing the title, how, by the way. Yeah, again, not wearing it, but <laughs> whatever. Your world champion uh, <laughs> doesn't wear your championship. But he, he gives him tutorial on how to do it correctly. He doesn't need a belt to let people know. Well, that that's his whole thing is he's Hulk Hogan, but you would think your champion would wear his belt at least more than once throughout this entire night since we've seen him multiple times at this point. But after that segment, that's when we finally get into the main event match of Kurt Angle, Chris, or not, yeah, Chris Jericho. I was about to say Christian. I don't know why. I mean, the, at this point, Christian Edge and Chris Jericho were almost interchangeable. Almost. It's because they're Canadian, isn't it? A little bit. And they all had long blonde <laughs> hair, so they were just like, hey, that's Edge. Nope, that's that's Chris Jericho. But that one's Chris Jericho. But we finally get to that match, and it was it was a, a decent match. Um, if we get Hogan in it, and any Hogan match is kind of, I don't want to say lackluster, but kind of, and it's it's not because he's a bad wrestler. It's just because of his age. He can't, yeah, rip and run at this with point the, in his career. Young guys anymore. Well, when he's bleaching his mustache, yeah, and only his mustache, only his mustache. Is he? Well, here's the thing: is he bleaching his mustache or dyeing his beard or both? <laughs> porque no los dos. <laughs> no, porque los dos. Porque no los dos. Porque all of los dos. <laughs> Porque. Porque. Another Y counter for our for our uh, Hispanic audience. I know we talked about this uh, the last time we were all together, and Tehran and I talked about it. Um, this was actually where I made the note of 
uh, that just makes me giggle every time, which is just, ah, when Vince licensed music, in parentheses, not Voodoo Child, though. (laughs) And this is also the first time in the night that Hogan has the belt. Yes, this is also the first, the first time that Hogan comes time. out, like, actually has the belt on. Like, the only, if you, if no one told you, like, if they didn't introduce him as the world champion, you would just think that he was another guy on the card. Like, the, he has not shown that he is the champion up to this point. One note that I did make, I, I just put, Young Edge was so bouncy. He was. Like, he was just all he was just all over the ring. Like he was, he was hitting spinning wheel kicks and just drop kicks. And he was just bouncing like a fucking super ball all over that ring. I saw a spot that I haven't seen in a really long time. I saw a double cross body. Oh yeah. That was mint. That was nice. That wasn't, that was an impressive bit. I will say that was, that was like, like I saw that, uh, some of those flying crossbodies out there. But then the double one, I was like, wait a minute. Can't... Like, I know you could do whatever the hell you want, but damn. Yeah. They they get better. They're not as common anymore. You usually only right. see them when there's, like, a high flyer match that they will do a double crossbody, um, especially when it's, like, a tag team match. That's one of their hot tag moments is what they're called. Um uh, they they usually do something to knock out both competitors so that the the crowd can influence the more wanted team to get a tag. Yeah. Um, you think I get like riled up for like people showing that they're injured? I swear to God, the first time that we see a Northern Lights into a bridge, into a spin around, into a fucking backslide pin combination that is one of my favorite chain wrestling moves that just never happens anymore and the first time i see it i am just uncontrollably going to climax just all all over the place we have the hot tag hogan comes in uh does his little hulk up thing which uh i i think i don't know if theo made the the made a note of it um, but he no, I did because this is okay. the first time I've ever seen uh, Hogan actually wrestle, and I just saw him just like shaking around, <laughs> and I'm just like, "What the fuck is happening?" If you can call what, what Hogan the does, fuck wrestling. is happening? Yeah, whatever anyone can call anything at that point, I'm just like, "What? What? That? What? What? Not even why, because why <laughs> is gone out the window. Just what? What the?" That's him taking your damage huh? and using it as strength. Like, like I've confused, I've hurt myself in confusion. Because every, everyone, everyone makes fun of John Cena's what is it? Six moves of death now. Five, five moves. Of five death. moves of death. Um, yeah. Hogan had the same thing. His was like three. Yeah. It was the Hulk up, mm-hmm. block punch. Um slingshot leg uh or slingshot big boot and then the leg drop to finish and that was it that was the end of the match done that's how hogan won his matches with that single leg drop that was it just a fucking a leg drop dude it's crazy to think about you know um but that 
again, this was a different time. This was when they protected finishers. Like, this is when finishers actually fucking meant something. And even then, like, even back then, finishers didn't mean what they had meant when Hogan first started wrestling. When first, when Hogan first started wrestling, if you wanted to use the same move as somebody else on the card, you had to get permission from that person. Like, you had to go yeah. to somebody. Like, if you wanted a, a DDT nowadays... Super common. You see DDTs as a throwaway move. We're not even going to talk about like fucking super kicks and shit. We're going straight like we're going to the DDT, right? Like super, super common move right now. We see it in every goddamn match. Back in the day, if you wanted to hit a fucking DDT, you went to Jake Roberts and you said, Hey, I want to use the DDT in my match. Is that okay? And nine times out of ten, Jake Roberts is telling is gonna tell you to go fuck yourself. Because he doesn't want you using his move and people being desensitized to his move. Because you're not gonna finish the match with that move. Right? Yeah. Like you're gonna use it as something that somebody's gonna kick out of. And like sometimes it would make sense if you're coming from an aspect of like, I'm gonna use it and they're gonna kick out. And it's going to be because, like, the reason behind it is, like, I don't hit it as good as you do. But, like, if it's somebody that you couldn't finish with this move, I'm definitely not going to finish them with this move. Because that implies that I do this move better than you do. And it just mm -hmm. takes it, like, takes it completely out of your wheelhouse. But yeah, so... Back to the match. Uh, Hogan tags back out. Edge comes in. Uh, hits the Education. Dumbest fucking name for a move ever. Um, but still. Well, you know. That's the greatest. That's possibly the greatest name. Execution. And then there was the X Factor. Um, yeah. There was a... There was... A few different moves that Edge used, and at this point, I think they were all could be technically like a finisher for him. No, um, the, the they spear were more is, of like the signatures. Oh yeah, I think he very rarely ever ended a match with either the execution or the X Factor. It was always the spear. Yeah, but they were they were his like bridging signature moves, and not finisher. Yeah. Um, then in the midst of everything going on, uh, Triple H comes in and just hits everybody with a sledgehammer, just including the ref, lays everybody. everybody, just everybody, everybody gets it. Um, and this is, it was, it was, all right, let's wrap this motherfucker up. Cause that was the end of the show. Theo's fucking ticking his goddamn microphone. <laughs> and then Vince comes out, goads Hunter, and then Hunter swings and misses with the sledgehammer trying to hit Vince, and he gets hit by Jericho with a chair, and we go off the air. Jesus fucking Christ. That's the end. <laughs> I mean, this is, uh, that fucking segment I thought was pretty cool. Um, Triple H came out all bloody and shit. Yeah. Yeah. He'd, he's been busted open at least three times that night. Yeah, I just thought yeah. it was really cool. Like, like he was really playing the, I've gone crazy, I'm going to kill someone. Yeah, 
Yeah, and this yeah. is the first 100%. time you see him take a swing with the sledgehammer that he is not covering the the actual sledgehammer part of it. Yeah, the head. God bless. This has been a uh, this has been a massive marathon of an episode. I think next week we will try to streamline the conversation a little bit more. Uh, Agreed. Theo, we are Theo, we are electing you as the master at arms. You will keep us on track. Oh hell! You will be delegation. You will. You are delegated as the important one who keeps us from veering too far. But that being said, after the nine and a half hours that we've been recording um i am i am very sleep much tired <laughs> uh such wow agreed theo before your microphone cuts out do you want to say anything to the people do you want to say anything as far as your closing statements for your first week and uh what you hope to accomplish moving forward as far as the first week is concerned, it's just been interesting to actually take a look at like some of these whole events instead of just like the individual matches. Like figuring out, you know, like yeah, some of these wrestlers got beef or whatever, or some of these wrestlers are just fucking weird. But it's it, it's interesting to take a look at that and also uh, to actually dive into it within the within the rules of being a part of the WWE universe. Cause that's really, it is, it's, it, they all, they, it, the rules only operate within itself and it doesn't make sense outside of itself. But once you're in there, it, it, it makes sense. And I'm starting to like, I'm still going to ask why almost. Oh, there's a lot of those. Moments. Oh, I'm, I'm th- there's been a lot of those moments. Oh, we got six years of this, my guy. <laughs> Even current wrestling, there's a lot of just whys. But it is interesting to see that kind of stuff where it's like, okay, I can kind of see where it's, where people can get into. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be a full-fledged, you know, cult member. Who knows? I mean, I've already developed as soon as you buy opinion. a belt, it's over. I'm, I, I, I shall refrain from buying a belt as of yet. I have too many other expensive hobbies. Who are you telling? I have a motorcycle in the garage. I, I've got D&D and ducks. I've got magic, Yu-Gi-Oh, motorcycle, computer, video games. Oh, I forgot I, about I forgot about magic. My wallet hates me. I forgot about and magic. And then do little person. So Yeah, you do have a little person. Well, like I said, I'll I'll figure out once I actually take the deep, deep dive and like drink the Kool-Aid. But like this is a this is a, a little thimbleful of the Kool-Aid. A little soup soups on. And so far, it's uh, it it's good soup. All right, uh, Tehran, what do you uh, what do you have to say about this week? What do you have to say about going forward? Um, yeah, what do you got? Uh just just it's it's been very fun reminiscing on older wrestling and specifically this era of wrestling and just going from what we had to what we have now. It's very interesting rewatching all of it and just seeing how things have changed and 
really honestly wishing that we could go back to that era of wrestling with what the talent and stuff that we have now but with everything being pg it we will never get back to that um and just as far as the future uh hopefully we can stay on topic a little bit more and we can get you guys two episodes in one um, a SmackDown and a Raw. I think that's what we're going to shoot for next week. But other than that, I think I think it's going to be fun. Um, slowly converting Theo. It's going to be a fun ride. Um, and by the end of it, he will have a belt. That That is a guarantee. I'll even let you um, buy me my first one. Nope. 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 You got to buy it yourself. You have to buy your own first one. Me and Tyler still the have thing. to buy our tandem tag team belts. Bro, I'm I'm looking and like they're pretty cheap right now. I know they're like less Dude, than two hundred. How many times I've per... almost hit buy now on the white the intercontinental title? So many times. Oh, dude, I'm telling you, when it comes to that, when I when it comes to my next one, my next one is gonna be the oval. IC title. That's my next one in line. Um, either that or uh, the tag team title for you and me. Or if I can find somebody who will make a custom for a decent price, keep a lookout because I may end up getting the three of us six man tag titles. And you know that what? I'll, was a I, thing. You know, I'll even put it on my desk at work. There you go. There we go. We'll we'll even customize yours to have ducks. Ooh, let's no. go. Let's <laughs> no. fucking go. Anyway, this has been an absolute marathon and is going to be an absolute nightmare to edit. Um, I do not envy the guy who has to edit this. I don't either. Yeah, you should find that guy and kick him in the dick. He's already going to get kicked in the dick by the <laughs> editing of this nine-hour monstrosity. I mean, if you need um, help, uh, but yeah, hopefully in the future, in the dick, I can. I, I know a guy. You can kick yourself in the dick and edit your own goddamn audio. Nah, I'm good. Mm, that's what I thought. But yeah, looking forward. I, I really, really am excited to see where what this becomes and. Uh, where we can go with it and and hopefully it'll be more uh regular as well yeah, yeah. things have things have kind of gotten things have been crazy we've been trying to do this for like two weeks on and off then we've recorded individually myself and theo uh myself and Tehran, and then all three of us in like four different sessions to try to get this thing recorded <laughs> um, but hopefully next week it will be a one shot one kill in and out program uh next week we will cover Raw and SmackDown in the same show, and hopefully we won't get so far off track. The goal is to try to shoot for maybe two and a half hours for both shows combined. Two and a half hours. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Your editor would appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> but that being said, if there are no more comments, if there are no more questions, if there are no more concerns, bitches, gripes, complaints, I am Tyler for Theo and Tehran. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you guys next week.
Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.